Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to Beyond Synth. I am your host, Andy Last. This is episode 153. I don't know why I said it that way. There's no reason to be excited. Uh, Well, there is reason to be excited because later in the show, I will be chatting with Judge Bitch and... He has been on a little break here. I think the last album he released was like four years ago or something. But he was one of the first dudes on the scene. Um, He's been involved with uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. And he also tells some cool stories because he works in the film industry doing sound. He's worked on like Trailer Park Boys and stuff. And anyway, we had a good time. It was actually a pretty chill conversation. You know, a lot of the times... I get pretty animated on the show, but when I listened back to the conversation we had, I'm like, this is we're pretty chilled out here. We're just sort of sitting at his table, drinking some beers and having a, a casual conversation. So, But it was good, man, and we're going to be doing that later in the show. But before then, we're going to listen to lots of music. We're going to do some stuff. I'm going to take a listener call, and it's going to be a good time. So let's get the party started with some Ogre from the Megacopter OST, which stands for Original Soundtrack. And... If you listened a few episodes ago when I had Ogre and Dallas Campbell on, we had a fun little show about uh, music production and stuff. And when I did the broadcast of the show on Thursday night on Power 85, Ogre wasn't there. And then I saw that he had posted on his Instagram he was in the hospital and he had gallstones, I think. And I didn't think it was a big deal. But then the other day I chatted with him and turns out it was like serious like a serious fucking health uh, thing that happened but he's doing okay now we talked on the phone and uh, and he's doing all right and i think he's he's using this time now to release uh unreleased tracks and things like that and just get them out there and uh, this soundtrack is fucking cool and this song is the one that i really liked when i first listened to it this is wave incoming and then in brackets destroy three
And that was Wave Incoming Destroy 3 by Ogre from the Megacopter soundtrack. And uh, it, Destroy 3 is in brackets. Like, you know, with video games, I, you'll have uh, tracks. So that's like the third variation of the, the the Wave Income. Anyway, whatever. It's a cool song. That's all that matters. And I want to remind you guys to check out Zencaster. Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. Zencaster is the easiest way to record your podcast in studio quality. And Zencaster is a web-based podcast recording program. You basically do it through the browser. You use either Chrome or Firefox. You sign up to Zencaster and then if you record a podcast where you have like multiple guests, it's super simple and easy. You just send somebody a link. They click on it. All of a sudden you're in a group chat. You hit record and it records the audio from all sides of the conversation and sends you individual audio streams right to your Dropbox. It's super convenient. The quality is good. And all in all, it's just a really cool thing. I use Zencaster Caster when I record the online interviews and it's a good thing. So check it out, Zencaster.com and use the promo code Beyond Synth to get a discount. I believe it's 20% off. You can still sample it for free if you want to, but the paid service allows you to record higher quality audio and uh, more than one guest. So like if you just record one-on-one conversation, you can actually just use the free service. But if you want to record a podcast with multiple guests simultaneously, then you use the paid service. But it's really good. It's designed specifically for podcasters, and that's all I'm going to say about it. And don't forget to check out Retro Revolutions. Retro Revolutions on YouTube. You know about this because I talk about them every week. Uh, Jared does cool things. He mods old video game consoles and does neat things to them. Right now, the video up is part one of him turning a Atari Lynx into a console version. And it's just sort of uh, fun, you know, unique little things. He opens them up. You get to see the video where he's uh, soldering the wire together and sort of shows you the process of, you know, wiring in a controller and making it so it plugs into a TV and all this stuff, and it's it's neat. So uh, go check out Retro Revolutions on YouTube, and you can also check them out at Retro Faith Games on Twitter and Retro underscore Revolutions on Instagram. And I suggest you do, because it's neat to watch. And on that note, let's uh, listen to some more music. So this is a track from The Northern Lights. And I believe this album isn't even out yet. Who is it sent me this? Doreen? Was it Doreen? You sent me this file. I don't know why you sent it. You said, do you want the Northern Lights new album? And I said, sure. And you sent it to me. And then I, I'm going to play this track. But then I went to his band camp and saw that this album isn't even out yet. But this track is out. So you can listen to this track on the Northern Lights band camp. So I'm not sure why you have it. Were you supposed to send it to me? Is he going to be mad that you did that? Is this a breach of confidence? <laughs> I don't care. It's a good song, so you should check it out. Uh, Northern Lights is a producer who I have not talked to before for some odd reason because he's produced lots of tracks that I enjoy. So um, maybe I'll get on that in the future. Anyways, right now we're going to listen to Malibu featuring Danny Martin.
That was Malibu, featuring Danny Martin by the Northern Lights. It's not out yet, but I think you can pre-order it.、Uh, so go do that because it's good. And I apologize if I wasn't supposed to play that song, but、uh, I was not given specific instructions. And when people send me music, it's hard for me not to just play it if I like the track. So I want to do a quick、uh, Patreon notification. I'm going to start doing these from now on, just just in case I forget to mention things later on in the show. We got some new donors this week. We got、uh, Sarah Buchelman.、Uh, I recognize that last name. Are you related to the other Buchelman that donates to Beyond Synth? Sisters, maybe. Anyway, thank you very much for supporting the show. It's very kind of you, and I appreciate it. And I do so. I do so. What? I do. Be,、ah, never mind. Anyway, thank you,、uh, Sarah. You're cool. And no, we lost a donor there. Sorry, <laughs> I was about to read <laughs> someone that stopped donating <laughs> in like the excited voice. <laughs> And we lost two donors this week. So a big shout out to yeah,、um, Alexandros Samaras. 
has edited his donate. Ooh, you're now a donation of the Beast Guy with the 666. Thanks, dude. I don't recognize your name. It says you upgraded your support, but I don't remember reading your name unless you just joined and then upgraded like a second later. Anyways, thank you very much for supporting the show, dude. It means a lot to me. And Jacob Wick is... Whoa, Jacob, what the fuck? Thanks, dude. <laughs> I know I did last week's show in honor of Jacob Wick because uh, he wanted me to have Let Him Riot on the show. Or he sent me a message and said, have Let Him Riot on. I said, sure, man, I'll do that. And uh, now Jacob has upgraded his support very kindly. Thank you, dude. I'm assuming this is what? Like, is it like a one-time thing because I did that show about you? Should I do a show about you every month? Is that what it takes? <laughs> we all do a show about all of my listeners in hopes that they are as generous and as kind as Jacob Wick because uh, this is uh, very kind of you, man, and I, I really appreciate it. I really, really, really do. Also, while we're here, I would like to direct you to the Beyond Synth website, okay? Please go check out beyondsynth.com. There is the Synthwave Artist database on there. There's over 500 entries. I'm updating it. I was about to say all the time. I don't update it all the time. I <laughs> Maybe every few weeks, I add some new entries and make sure it's up to date with the show. But listen, a kind man, Mike Rezel, donated his time and designed the website for me. And it would be, I would appreciate it if uh, maybe you checked out his website. And if you're planning on building a website or you want someone to build you a site, go check out MikeRezel.com, M-I-K-E-R-E-Z-L.com. He's fast. He gives free hosting. He builds in tools so you can easily edit your site afterwards when it's up and running, and it's all good, man, and he's a talented dude. I love the site that he's made for BeyondSynth.com, and I really appreciate it. So don't forget to check out BeyondSynth.com, and then don't forget to check out Mike Rezel, M-I-K-E-R-E-Z-L.com, because I said so, all right? That's the reason, man. Do it. Uh, let's listen to some more music. This is a track from Back to 84, and this track is called The Last Time.
And that was the last time by Back to Eighty Four, and that's a cool track. I dig it. So how about this? I'm gonna take a sip of tea. And maybe we'll go to the phones. I'll take a listener call, and then later in the show we will chat with Judge Bitch. I think we're cool with that, right? All right, man. Let's uh, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, who's this on the line? Well, it's Ross Pentland, live from Melbourne, Australia. Hey, man, Ross Pentland. Dana, Gene Phoenix. That's the order that the names go on the uh, Patreon. Yeah, it used to be on that. And then I had this weird moment where my credit card got hacked. So it, it reset the order. Well, I had to redo the um, the whole Patreon thing. I had to switch to a different card. And then so my name was somewhere else. And uh, I, I just listened to the Das Mortal episode where you uh, gave me a shout out. Oh, that's right. Because you upgraded your support to the 666. How do you feel now? Do you feel a twinge of evil? Uh, yeah, slightly more evil. Just a slightly more uh, ambivalent to my fellow man. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do, man. I Listen, I just want to say right off the top here that I appreciate your support of Beyond Synth. It means a lot to me, people who support the show. Oh, no worries. I've been uh, listening for how many years? I've been a couple of years now. I think I, I, I can't remember listening to that. I think it might have been season three or so. I think because I remember one of the first few episodes was the first time you had Ghost on. Right. I haven't listened to every episode, but I listened to a few of the, um, the early episodes. Ooh, you're not a true listener, man, unless you go back and listen to it all. It's all great. Every single one. Well, I have this weird ritual with your uh, show, so I... I, <laughs> I masturbate, and then I look at a photo of you, and, and go on. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it's weird. I actually save your episodes for um, Saturday mornings, because for Saturday mornings, I do... Um, Hot yoga. I do, like, a weekly uh, 5K run. Oh. I remember listening to your show. It was the first time I heard Sunset Neon's uh, Tonight, mm, yeah. and for whatever reason, that just got stuck in my head. It's such an energetic pump-up song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that song in my head and I got a PB because of it. Like, I, I got a 5K PB. Peanut butter. Uh, no, personal best. Ah, personal best. Or personal record, as it's the um, North Americans sure. say. So, yeah, I've ran my fastest five kilometers. So, um, that was pretty good. It's, uh, I think there's been a few instances where I've been listening to your show and then I'll have a song in my head that'll drive me to the finish line. Yeah, well, they, I mean, that song definitely is a, is an 80s ballad style uh, pump up, man. So, I guess that works. Sunset Neon just put on a video where it's just tonight set to the training montage from uh, Rocky IV. Mm. Is that the one with the robot? I haven't actually seen Rocky IV. This is going to sound very blasphemous because I'm only 29. I was born in 89. Well, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, like, I talked to all sorts of people, man. People who live to recreate the past and people who look to the future. But the bottom line is this. Rocky IV has a robot. Yeah, I've allegedly heard, like, I've seen, well, some of the montage where he's just uh, in, a, like, a gym where Rocky's in, like, a, some wooden hut out in the and the Alps somewhere, and um, then you've got Ivan Drago just um, in a lab somewhere. Drago's awesome because he's in a lab, and there's this one part where the camera pans over and just films these crystals in a machine, and they never really say what they're doing, so I always refer to them as, like, the magical boxing crystals because in the film, there's no context for why he's hooked to a machine machine that has crystals in it and so i don't know what they're insinuating if these crystals have some sort of energy that are being infused into it like it's never really explained uh which is why i love it but 
earlier on in the film, Polly has uh, this robot comes out because Rocky's rich and there's this robot and it just says happy birthday, Polly. But it, the music they play is this really serious, awesome, like synth part. It's it's wicked. It's an awesome scene. Like just go on YouTube and type in happy birthday, Polly. When you watch it, you'll just be like, wow, this movie is very strange tonally because there's a fucking butler robot. Like it's amazing. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Uh, I had no idea. I, I, I've seen bits of a Rocky movie. Like, I've seen him playing, like, in the gym, but, like, none of the sound's on, so I just, like, sort of have to infer what the hell's going on. Well, here's the deal with Rocky, because it's one of those franchises, you know, that people look back on nostalgically and go, oh, I love the Rocky series and whatever. So here's the bottom line. The first Rocky movie is a good film. Okay. Well acted, well written, it's got a good story, it's good. Part two is weaker, but they're still trying to make a good film. And it's okay, but it's like, it's not as good as the first one. And then part three is when the series starts to become like a cartoon. That's the one where uh, Hulk Hogan's yes, yes. in it. And then this Mr. T's the main villain. Yes, yeah. And like that one is where it starts to go, okay, this is a little goofy. Like it becomes broad and silly almost. Part four is pretty silly like it's pretty over the top cheesy like it's super cheesy but it's still entertaining anyways but there's no way in hell rocky would have won the fight like when you see the training of drago versus rocky and when you see them finally fight each other it's like drago would have destroyed him like it's just but rocky's so tenacious and he just keeps getting back up and eventually like wears him down but it's it's very foolish but it's a very cheesy film tonally the franchise completely changes and you know what the same with rambo the first rambo movie first blood is like a serious movie about a fucking Vietnam vet with PTSD. PTSD. And then the follow-up sequels are like these really cartoony 80s action movies. They're just completely different tonally than the first film. Like the first one's trying to be a serious good movie and the other ones are just like popcorn movies. It's it's funny. Like Stallone has this sort of trajectory where, you know, like the first one starts out like a serious drama and then they just degenerate very quickly into cartoons. Yeah, okay. But uh, wasn't it part of it because of like the cold war was hanging on everyone like they wanted to like, at the it was end bit- of the fight the russians start cheering for rocky like that's what kind of movie it is they're there to cheer for fucking drago but then because rocky just keeps getting up there's a point where the crowd actually changes and then just they all start cheering for rocky like it's the cheesiest movie in the world like there's a lot of people i know who like part four is their favorite But to me, as like a person who likes films, I appreciate that part four might be like the most entertaining, but it's a super cheesy film compared to the first film. Yeah. But look, we got to listen to some music, man. And that's what we're going to do right now. So let's listen to some kick-ass tunes here. This is Irving Force. And this track is called Overload.
And that was Overload by Irving Force. And that track is cool. And that track, of course, was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters. There's the king of the Pattersons this month, Chris Williams. Thank you very much for supporting the show, Chris Williams. You're a cool guy. And if I think so, the world thinks so. And then, of course, there's Retro Revolutions, as you know. And then there's Jacob Wick, who upgraded his support. To the 4488. Now, I'm assuming that this is like a one-time sort of gift. Because Jacob is showing his appreciation for the fact that I made last week's show uh, his recommendation. But the bottom line is this. Thank you very much, uh, dude. Uh, That's very kind of you. And of course, my lovely friends in the $25 club. Well, there's... (laughs) Sorry, both people's names start with a C and it fucked me up. There's Clint Dowling. And Christian James. And then there's Mike Shima, Joey, and Kendra. Now, Joey and Kendra, I think Joey just messaged me and said, you should play C.J. Burnett on the show sometime. And I'd just like to mention, even though I did respond to you in a letter, that uh, I have played C.J. Burnett, and I will do so again because I dig his music. And then there's Gregorio Franco. Go check out Gregorio Franco's music, man. It's really good. And then, rounding it out, it's the awesome Chris. Dance. Don't you fuck with Chris Dance. He'll kick your ass, man. That's what he'll do. And uh, yeah, and then we'll do Frank Skinicki with the 1987. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. And of course, we're back here. I'm on a listener call right now, and I am chatting to Mr. Ross Pentland. And we're just talking about movies. We're talking about Rambo and uh, and Stallone films. And I was going to make a point because you were talking about how, you know, some of these references you didn't get because you were younger. And I think it's interesting because there's just certain things that are like so ingrained in like the pop culture that you don't even really need to. It's like, you know, you, you don't have to have seen Jaws. Yeah. To know Jaws. Like, you know the song, you know you know the basic, the, the idea, you know, we're going to need a bigger boat and all this yeah. shit. I mean, like, you know all that stuff before you even see the film. I have actually seen Jaws. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> so that, that is one movie I've seen. Because it's like, I was a kid of the 90s. And I'm trying to, I treat your um, podcast as like a sort of my adult Saturday morning breakfast podcast Hmm. and i was trying to think of like uh the saturday morning cartoons i watched i could vaguely remember a motorcycle motorbike what was it biker mice from mars yes yes i was trying to remember that it's like let's rock and ride that's all i remember from that show i don't actually remember a lot i remember the whole show about like you know these alien like cyborg uh mice men with that ride motorcycles for some reason but Hmm. it was like but then, like, you go on YouTube, because I want to go on a nostalgia trip, but then I realize I don't remember any of these things. Like, I feel like the, sh- the one show I can probably recite offline is, like, verbatim is, like, The Simpsons. Yeah. When I say The Simpsons, I mean, of course, to a certain point, like, I think season 12, I want to say. There's, like, a weird line where you could recite things from The Simpsons up to a certain point. That's everyone, man. Because, honestly, even the people who still claim that The Simpsons is good, all the classic quotes are still circa season three to about season eight. That's pretty much where the gold is. Yeah. And anytime people quote stuff, all the famous quotes, all that shit, all the things Ralph said, all the stuff, Homer quotes, they're all from that block of time. The thing about The Simpsons is when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, it really was, you know, at its peak and great, you know, from about season three to eight. Mm. But the thing was, when it was good... 
it was the best. So like Simpsons season three yeah. to eight, and especially season four, five, and six mm. are perfect. Yeah. You can put in any disc of that DVD and you will see a classic episode. Like that show, those are still so special to me, like that era. I think season seven and eight are good, but that's when the show for me started to be like, every episode's still good, but they're not all amazing. Like some of them are just good. And then season yeah. nine is when the show started to have what I would consider bad episodes. Season nine is like when Seymour Skinner, you, you find out he's not who he says he is. And like, that's a famously shitty one. And that's season nine. But season nine still has some good ones. Yeah. Like one of one of my favorite things uh, that still makes me laugh is the one where they join that cult. And then at the end, the the cult guide flies away in a, like a, a UFO, but then it all falls apart. And he's just like <laughs> riding a bike with wings, and he just yeah. has like this this thing under his mustache making the spaceship noise. Oh uh, yeah, because it was a callback to the um, before, like when Flanders did that too. And you hear the sound effect, and like that that to me, yeah, 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 it's awesome, it's so awesome. So there's still good stuff in Nine, but yeah. there's also episodes that I think are bad. Yeah, I think The Simpsons were actually my. Um, now that I look back, I think The Simpsons were basically my Saturday morning cartoon because there were, we had like cable television, so there was one channel that would um, play like uh, six episodes of The Simpsons, like from nine to twelve. And it's weird you mentioned seasons because I actually don't think of seasons too much. I think maybe from a certain year onwards, mm-hmm. that's when I feel like I just lost interest. It's upon reflection, though, when I talk about my favorite seasons of Simpsons, that is a retroactive reflection I'm giving on my past because yes when I got to high school uh, I started smoking weed like it was still funny and that's up till like season 14 even where we'd still watch The Simpsons uh, because The Simpsons was the best show and you know it it was what we talked about on Monday because it aired uh, Sunday nights so it was a good time and it's it's only upon reflection that I can think back to my childhood and go yeah I was disappointed by the show but I couldn't tell yeah like I knew I wasn't laughing as much but I was still in it and there's lots of things like that like certain movies I watched at a certain age where I'm like oh I like this movie and then it's only later on that I'm like I don't think I did like this movie it's just because it was there like I've said this many times on the show like Mortal Kombat Annihilation was the movie that was the first movie and maybe I was like 16 17 was that the one with Christopher Lambert I'm just I'm just trying to rack my brain because no 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 no. he's not in the sequel like he didn't return Uh, in the sequel uh, that's that's how bad it was okay that was the first one okay so Mortal Kombat Annihilation was the first movie I ever saw where the veil was lifted from my childhood innocence Uh, I recognized that I was watching a shitty thing even though I liked the franchise like when you're young it's like you just you like what you want to like you know you just go into it and very rarely was I disappointed with something as a kid it's like if you wanted I wanted to like the Super Mario Brothers movie and I liked it and when it came to Mortal Kombat Annihilation it was like I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan Mm. Uh, they made a sequel that had all these extra characters in it like and then I in the theater I was just like what the fuck is this and that was the first time and I feel like that was a moment a watershed moment in my life yeah right where it was like oh man like things you love can be shitty you know like I learned a lesson and then from that day on Uh, I try and kill myself every day (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's not a funny joke No, I, I, I'm. Uh, Anyways, well, you know, well, maybe people will forget my uh, offensive joke if uh, we listen to a song. So let's do that. Uh, what do I got in my playlist? Well, how about some Boulevard Nights? This is actually another synthwave artist who has a side project now, and this is a cool track. This is Night Drive by Boulevard Nights.
That was Boulevard Nights with the track Night Drive. Lots of drive, lots of night, lots of boulevards. Boulevard Nights, and it's spelled B-L-V-D Nights. So go check that out because that was cool. And that, of course, was brought to you by my lovely Patreon Pattersons in the $15 Club. It's Mr. Ken Giroux. And then there's Hampus ML, and Hampus ML has sent me a message, because you know sometimes I like to know people's names and stuff, because some of them are hard to pronounce, and I said, what the hell is the ML for? And Hampus says, Dear Andy, the last synth, since you crave knowledge and we enjoy hearing you pronounce foreign names, I thought I might as well throw my last names your way, with a translation, of course. ML stands for Magnuson Lilleberg. Magnuson is kind of self-explanatory, but if you still want me to translate, explain it, just let me know. Lilleberg translates into Lily Mountain. Lilleberg, do you say like Lilleberg? Magnuson Lilleberg. Lilleberg. Have fun with this useless knowledge and keep on rocking this train wreck of a show. (laughs) Fuck you, Hampus. And also thank you, Hampus, for supporting Beyond Synth, man. It means a lot to me. Uh, It really does. So thank you. And then, of course, with the 1111, it's the lovely Chris Lane. Hi, Chris Lane. Do you get to listen to this show when you're working? If you work at like a big box store, are you allowed to have headphones on? I doubt it. Anyway, thanks, Chris Alaya. And then in the $10 Club, it's Mr. Fraser Davidson, who just updated my list, my Beyond Synth uh, tracklist thing. So thank you very much, dude. You're a wicked guy. And then there's Kempson Games, Lucas Ceballos, Justin Armour, The Patch Bay, Blake Peterson, Martin Larby, and Digital Dreams. Thank you all for supporting Beyond Synth. And we're back uh, on the phone here. I'm taking a call, listener call, from Mr. Ross Pentland. And uh, what, I was just telling you my story of... My watershed moment where I lost my innocence watching uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation and uh, and everything changed for me after that point. Like, do you, do you have an experience like that, you know, in your life where, like, you made this realization, you know? I think with me, I think it was like, because I used to be like, I used to buy CDs. And sometimes I think for me, that watershed moment is like, I'd buy an album. I, I think I bought an album of the music. It's like, hey, I like this one song. And then it's like, I like this band for this one song. And then it's like, I buy the album. It's like, huh. Oh, it was just this one song. It was just like, oh, the yeah, people you like can make shitty things. In the 90s, like a lot of the bands I liked, the single was good and there was like one other song that was good and then they the rest of the album would just be like filler. For the most part, I used to predominantly listen to mix CDs. Okay. I just always made mix CDs of my like my friends bought music and then I would just take their CD and take my favorite songs and make mixes. I very rarely listened to whole albums. Honestly, like I'll tell you, the albums I listened to besides Depeche Mode, Depeche Mode is my favorite band so like I, I listened to the whole yeah. things of Depeche Mode but like uh, I liked David Bowie in the 90s. I liked his 90s phase. Yeah, I think for me, maybe that band for me, this is probably going on a bit later, but um, Mastodon, there, there was a huge thing for me. Um, I was like hugely into like Mastodon. You know, Mastodon with this huge, oh, they still are, they're still going around. I love their albums, uh, Blood Mountain, and um, they had all these like crazy concept albums. And then I think when they stopped making concept albums, they had this directional shift away from cohesive concept albums to like just a collection of songs. And I think that sort of lost it for me. Like when it comes to concept Concept albums versus collections of songs. Since since when I was younger, I always used to listen to mixes predominantly. Yeah, it never bothered me really. But at the same time, it was nice when albums had the way that they flowed into each other. I found myself listening to a lot of uh, film soundtracks. Like we loved the soundtrack to The Crow, the soundtrack to Natural Born Killers. Oh, Lost Highway. That was when we listened to a lot of uh, the David Lynch film. Yeah, because when we played. 
And there was like a few key scenes. Oh, shit. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about the movie, GoldenEye, or the uh, the game? <laughs> You're allowed to say it. I'm not. I'm going to have to beep that out. Uh, I was trying to give you an out and we were talking about the movie. Yeah, no, we're not. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> When I used to play a particular N64 game yeah. featuring Pierce Brosnan and Sean Bean, those are the CDs we would always listen to. It was uh, David Bowie's album, the Lost Highway soundtrack, the Crow soundtrack, and uh, Natural Born Killers. There was, a, there was a few. But like, yeah, that's what I listened to in the 90s was that sort of stuff like Nine Inch Nails yeah, okay. things of that nature and that's why I was very happy to uh, stumble upon uh, Synthwave my introduction to Synthwave was um, through uh, Hotline Miami I think from there I just like discovered I don't know for whatever reason it was Perturbator in particular I think it was this track uh, Vengeance that actually got my attention like this whole this dark track and then yeah I googled him found his band camp and I think it was and I picked up his record It's a we- is it weird to call it a record if it's just online like I find your accent interesting. Yeah, I've been to ask about, again, I'm from Melbourne, Australia, but so I'm curious, is there much difference between my accent and Marco's? Like, is there like, would you say there's a difference between a Melbourne accent and a Perth accent? Well, what I find interesting about your accent is sometimes you pronounce your R's and sometimes you don't. Occasionally you'll do like a hard R. Yeah, I'm not sure, because I know it's an Australian thing to say, like if you say the word like, uh, like December or September, we say an A instead of an E-R. Um, yeah, see, see, because you, you know the way you just did that R, right? R. You actually, you actually did like a hard R. Like I think even if like Marco, he has to force that out if he's doing like an impression, but he'll never say it. Okay. So I didn't know if like so you are you are like a purebred Australian person. I'm not actually. Um, my dad's from uh, Bendigo, which is a country town up north of the state, so it's like like a two hours out from the city. And my mum is from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Okay. And she's actually not Malaysian. I actually got called out for it. So she's a, her family is hopefully. I can get this right. She's a second-generation Chinese family that was born in Kuala Lumpur, and then at some point in the 80s, she emigrated. She met my dad, and then they emigrated to Melbourne together. And, and actually, there was a weird thing, too, because uh, what happened was after I was born, we ended up uh, moving to Fiji. So I spent the first two years of my life in Fiji. So it's, I don't know... Is that the way you pronounce it? Fiji. Yeah, you're putting the emphasis on the G. I've been to Fiji. I was there when I was a little kid. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Fiji. We, we say Fiji here, but I didn't know it. So you actually say it that way? It's Fiji? Yeah. Fiji. Fiji. Yeah, see, because we don't give any preference to the any side of the word. We just go Fiji like that. Fiji. 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 Yeah, okay. Fiji. Fiji. I, I guess I have no memories of it It's because I was like, you know, I was a toddler, but it's like, must be a thing with just like... Uh, with accents, it must come with like a certain cadence. Like you know how like if you do like a Scandinavian accent, there is a that's a sort of a rhythm to it. It kind of goes up and down and up and down, and it's like let's just point out right now the the impeccable Scandinavian accent that you just did. <laughs> Uh, I, and I and I have spent time with. There's a Swedish guy in my uh, running club. Actually, I've met Swedish people. I've met Finnish people as well. Finish him. <laughs> okay. Have, have you ever heard that song by Cher, Half Breed? No. Half Breed. That's all I ever heard. Half Breed. How I love the paper. She's got this song called Half Breed. It's about half breeds. Okay. Are you are you are you insinuating about my something about my mother? <laughs> Well, no, you're the half-breed, you goof. Uh, yeah, I'm a half-breed, but we're like half-breed of what? What is that? What is the proper thing? Because the term half-breed is hilarious. Probably biracial. Uh, yeah, that's probably, you know, it's... But it's a weird thing, because if you look at a photo of me, I've actually had to make a point that I actually am 
technically Asian because <laughs> it's a weird thing. That, like I, I bring up the fact that mum was from Malaysia. I'll, I'll bring up that fact, and then people will just look at me. They'll, there's this weird pause and say, "But you're white." Like that's a weird thing. Like I have to like because I don't look obviously Asian. That's the weird thing. That's the thing. Like what you have to do every time someone's about to take a photo of you, you just sort of like set one of those Asian rice hats like on your head. <laughs> The Asian conical oh, hat, God. the Raiden hat, and the thing is, you get to get away with it because if anyone, because you know, in this day and age, everyone's so ready to be offended, right? So then, when you make some like Chinese joke or something, and people are like, "Oh, you fucking white man," you be like, "Hey, man, I'm Chinese," and then you got to like bring your mom out there, and she will be disinterested and <laughs> helping you justify your horrible joke. Yeah, she'll be like typical Asian parent, just generally disapproving. <laughs> but you know, if, if, if I'm in that scenario, I could just do the odd job thing, just like line a raise of it and just throw like just throw at people. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how useful those hats would be at tossing at people. There was a thing on Mythbusters where they actually tested the usefulness of it. Like, I think it would cause a gash. I don't think you could like decapitate a man or anything. Actually, would that be more like um? Did you are you familiar with um Peaky Blinders? They lined the um flat caps with the the razors inside. They ought to call that TV show fucking razor hats. <laughs> That's what I would call. Then maybe I'd watch it. It's um, Peaky Blinders. I know there's a there's a girl. She was in my running club. She moved to a triathlon club. And the thing with triathletes, they're all they're all big on their visors. So I made this like reference, like uh, yeah, this girl from Birmingham, UK. I called her like Peaky Visors. That's very clever, Ross. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Master wordplay. All right, man. Look, we can. <laughs> We gotta listen to another song, so let's do that now. This is by Samo and Co. And Co. is short for company, but it's just Samo and Co. And this track is called Obsolescence.
And that was Obsolescence by Samo and Co. And that is from the album Odyssey, which is followed by some... Are those Japanese characters? I don't know. I can't tell. Anyway, look, the, <laughs> the point is, uh, it's a cool song, and you should go check it out. And that, of course, was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters in the $10 Club. There's Power Loader, Trevor Resnick, Polly Digital, Elias Garnier, Murat, Playmaker Media. Oh, yeah, and I think if that contest is still going, go to Playmaker Media's uh, website, because uh, I think they're still giving away some vinyls if you uh, follow the the clues i think there's like a treasure hunt and then there's ashley keegan greg smith fucking slunks will Lowe, winfield and colin bennett and uh thank you guys very much for your support and i guess rounding that out it's the ross conian and Skywolf with the triple seven and we're back with Mr. Ross Pentland. We're just having a good laugh here. And I'm just trying to figure it out here. Like, it's it's funny, all these weird running clubs that you're a part of here. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm part of a, a very elite group of sitters. Yeah, I can't, I can't sit for more than an hour at a time. Otherwise, my like my hips get really tight. That actually affects my running. If you're not using your muscles, gotta, you got to work the hips. Got to work the hips at every opportunity, you know? Yeah, man, that's all I do. I work the hips. <laughs> Just constantly. Everywhere I go, I just work my hips. I work other people's hips. I end up uh, getting in trouble with the law. Oh, mate. You gotta uh, get some blinds. Yeah, some peaky blinds. Peaky blinds. (laughs) See, I can do wordplay, too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, was there anything I wanted to mention? (laughs) You've been talking a mile a minute. What do you mean? (laughs) Oh, is there anything I forgot to say? I, I, <laughs> I made some notes in case I was... I, I don't know. For some reason, I was worried I was just going to stumble and not have anything to talk about. That's ah, all good, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. A uh, big fan of the show. And uh, yeah, just keep on keeping on. Thanks, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you supporting the show. It means a lot to me. Yeah, no worries. And keep on being cool. Keep running. Get that personal best. Always. Ross Pentland. Run, repeat, synth wave. What? <laughs> <laughs> Are you, are you trying to have a catchphrase? What's going on? <laughs> That's the famous Ross Pentland catchphrase that everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to outdo Lou and all these um, Sitwave Run Club, so... Yeah, man. Well, it sounds like you're doing it if you're reaching a personal best. As far as Lou Rinaldi's concerned, I think he's just hitting a series of personal lows. Oh, no, no, no. He's... he's um... No, he's a horrible guy. <laughs> Anyways, man, listen, uh, you have a lovely day in Australia. Thank you. Have a good uh, have a good night in uh, Toronto. I'll try my best, man. And you keep on being cool and doing what you do. Like Let Him Riot says, I won't stop running. Is that what he says? Uh, it's one of his songs. <laughs> I probably fucked that up. All right. I'm hanging up the phone now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> have a good night. All right, and that was Ross Pentland. That was a nice little listener call. You know, you can always email me at beyondsynth at gmail.com if you want to take part in doing a listener call thing. It's always fun to do. People like to call in, but they got to be scheduled because my schedule is garbage. Anyway, that listener call was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters. There's Hugh Jones with the 669. And then it's time for the donation of the beast. This is the donation of the beast. These are all the people who donate triple six. 
because they are triple evil. There's Alexandros Samaras, there you are, who has upgraded his support. Thanks, Alexandros. It does say here, why don't I recognize your name? Did you change your name? Because it says here you did donate, unless... Did you sign up to the Patreon, like, the day before it, like, takes the money? Maybe I'm just bad at paying attention. And then there's Luke, BTD, Ross Pentland. Hey, we just talked to Ross Pentland. And then there's Moose Nux, Rob Dyson, Street Cleaner, Orlando, Rodriguez, Nafe, Till Wild, Straylight, Carm, Love Machines from IX, and Renton Brax. And rounding it out with the 617, it is Polar Wildcat Studios. Now, let us listen to another track, and then we will go and chat with Judge Bitch. So, here's a cool one from Moonrunner83, and it is featuring Megan McDuffie. Now, she's a lady who's been around for a while. I always see her posts, and I keep meaning to play some stuff, but I'm a very disorganized guy, but she seems talented. Anyways, her voice is cool, and she is singing on this track by Moonrunner83, and it is called Streets.
by Moonrunner83 featuring Megan McDuffie and that song is cool I always love that that synth sound reminds me of Terminator I forget what it's called and that of course was brought to you uh, by my lovely Patreon supporters in the $5 club with the 520 it's Timbral then there's Kevin Nogelney Sarah Buchelman hi Sarah Buchelman thank you for donating to Beyond Synth you're cool very cool. And then there's Kyle Droll, Pipdig, Erasmus, Deep, Mikey C, David Andrews, The Englishman in Texas, Tomas Shimanek, Andrew Tukas, Rachel Buchelman. Okay, so you guys have to be related, right? Like, what are the odds that two Buchelmans listen to this show? Also, am I saying that correctly? <laughs> think I've been, it's been confirmed. Then there's Sergio Matai, Binkley, Sven Bomanis, Citybat, Christopher Albert, Daniel Dexias, Star Nomad, Michelle Vasquez, Tim Ross, Neon Knox, Damian Rudy's Lee McConnell, Psycho Rags, Marco, Crane and Donk, Corey Valentine, Timothy Pierce, Starlight Fisher, Barons of Santa Carla, Tristan Waits, Dana Jean Phoenix, Stu M, Night Raptor, Simon Norberg, Matthew Lister, Bobby B, Roman, Joe and Lando, Gus Velasek and Kai. Thank you all for supporting Beyond Synth. If you want to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash beyond slash <laughs> patreon.com slash beyond synth and you can uh, support the show that way or you can go to beyondsynth.com and there's a big donate button and that will also take you to the Patreon. So thank you very much all you people for supporting the show. It is literally what keeps the show going. And now let us go to my chat with Judge Bitch. Well, I'm here with Judge Bitch, a.k.a. Adam, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that a secret? The name? Yeah. Or your real name? Oh, no, not at all. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's get a bit of fucking uh, backstory here. So you are from Eastern Canada, is that correct? Yeah, from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And that your whole life? Yeah, until two years ago, until uh, I came to Toronto. So the Judge Bitch uh, project happened in Nova Scotia? Actually, no, I was living in Ottawa at the time with my band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, so so when when did you go from east to west? Or were well, we west? We're in the middle. For like a year in like 2007, I was living in Ottawa with my band. We had moved there just because Ottawa was the middle of uh, Toronto and Montreal. 
Okay. And uh, and we had a lot of family connections there, so it was like we could live for free and do shows in both places. A lot of people in my band at the time, they slept in really, really late, mm. and I don't at all. I'm up super early every day. So I had a lot of free time. And yeah. so I asked the drummer, uh, Dylan, to teach me Reason. And he didn't teach me. He just basically said, this is Reason. Yeah. And just <laughs> left the room. And so every morning, I'd have like six hours alone with this thing. Yeah. And uh, actually, it's funny. My first 10 tracks, I think, I didn't even know how to use um anything but the matrix step sequencer in it so okay. i could just do like do 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 stuff like that and uh looking back like i think reason's just such a good way to teach people how synths work because they kind of look the imagery where they look just like real hardware yeah yeah, yeah. so you kind of get what's going on like i made silly electronic music and i used fruity loops and when i saw reason because um i think every time whenever you bought like audio software i think i had to buy an m box when i was in school yes it did come with a lot of things, I think. And it would come with like little demos, and I think, but was it Reason or was it Cubase? I feel like it came with Cubase. I bought it because that was the only way to use Pro Tools back in 2001 was you needed you needed an M-Box. Like that, was, that was the fucking, and it, fucking, and it cost 700. <laughs> How much that fucking M-Box cost? When I went to school, well, we're about the same age. So like yeah. I went to film school and I was in, this was 2001, 2002. And I remember I bought a 140 gig hard drive for $505 with tax. And that was like a big deal, like a big lacy drive that was 140 gigs. And now I have <laughs> fucking USB sticks like that same size. And then uh, Mbox, which was like 750 bucks just so I could uh, do Pro Tools. And I think I did like two projects with it. Yeah. And then, yes. Yeah, so and I remember Reason had the thing where you could... Um, where it showed you all the wires like didn't it show you the actual thing where you could like click on the wires and like click yeah them? you could flip the whole stack around mm-hmm. and just drag the wires um as if you were putting in like a, a modular synth kind of thing yeah it just teaches you how to use hardware kind of i'd recommend anyone just starting synth to to use reason although god knows what it's like these days i graduated to ableton pretty quickly and then never looked back right but uh you can get some awesome stuff in there. i think uh doesn't calm trues I thought he used Reason for a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure. Well, it's possible because, I mean, I know people who sort of use several programs and, like, bounce out stems to, like, different programs. It's always funny when I find out, like, someone uses, like, some weird antiquated program that they just use. Because I think, like, uh, Robots with Ray Guns. I remember he told me he used some weird... Oh, what the fuck was it called? It's, like, Sony something, and it's, like, some oh, program. Vegas, or... No, it's... it's, it's... No, what's that called? It's got a name, and it was literally, like, a product that I think, like, they discontinued in, like, 2006 <laughs> or something. But, you know, it's, like, that whole thing where, like, you use what you're comfortable with. Yeah, if it works, I mean... Sometimes I get overwhelmed with the, the amount of programs that, that I use that are updating constantly because mm-hmm. I'm on a Mac. I do video editing, so I use like Final Cut and I do the show using Logic and I feel like like every three weeks there's like an update where like the program, like I open up a file and it's just like, your file needs to be converted to the newest version and then yeah. it's only like years later when you try and open an old one that it's just like, this version is too old to convert and you need to buy some fucking software to do the conversion. I'm like, fuck you, <laughs> assholes. That's happened to me several times in my life where I've had to buy like conversion software because like, you know, I missed the thing. It happened with After Effects. I use After Effects a lot. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of old After Effects projects that like once they switch to like CS3, then like they no longer, anyway, whatever. This is no, no, it's n- true. Nerd, nerdy stuff. <laughs> I, try, I try to, I never update anything. Well, it always breaks. Well, it's just it, yeah. And Mac, dude, like the OS updates, I feel like it's like every four months. They've got like an, maybe it's every... Is it once a year? I mean, time is going by really fast now for me. So maybe it's once a year where they name it something. You know, like every year, like Matt comes out with a... Now it's fucking... Well, it's not Mountain uh, Jackrabbit. Giant cats anymore. That used to be like... It was so easy to... Oh, we're on Cougar now. Yeah, yeah. That's that's cool, you know? (laughs) Oh, Mountain Lion. Okay, it's kind of like Cougar, but... 
Cool. Yeah, now now they're on. I think they've been doing mountains lately. So the Puma, last, that's still a mountain line. What the fuck? What, what are they on now? Sierra? No, Sierra. No, um, uh, when was Sierra? <laughs> anyway, whatever. The point is, <laughs> you've been doing this for a long time. So what? What was the uh, why Judge Bitch? First of all, what does it mean to you? It was purely from the movie Judge Dredd, where at the end those women are fighting, and she says judge bitch and punches her off the I think they're fighting on a gargoyle or something it's been honestly a long time since I've seen that film (laughs) but um no honestly it was just that and it was only years later when someone uh was telling me they said I really like your name you know like don't judge me bitch and I was I had never connected those dots stupidly I just thought it was like a one-off line about a a judge dread judge yeah 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 calling someone a bitch well about this let's uh this is gonna be me naturally throwing to a track, but let's <laughs> let, let's listen to a song and then uh, and then we'll come back and uh, talk some more. We're just gonna be sitting around the table. Uh, this was uh, from I think your first album. There's a track uh, called "Working Out in Jeans," which is a classic, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna listen to that now, man. This is "Working Out in Jeans" by Judge Bitch.
And that was Working Out in Jeans by Judge Bitch. Yeah, we just sat here and listened to that whole song. <laughs> I had to do that the other day. I was at the gym and I totally forgot everything. And I was going to turn around and I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to work out in jeans. Yeah. <laughs> So what was going on at this time? So you come with the name. What, what came first? And what made you make this style of music, first of all? Oh, when I started doing it, it was 2007. Really? Yeah. Was that on, like, on MySpace? Well, there was, I, I just had, actually, I had Daft Punk's Alive 2007. Okay. And I loved some parts of that. Mm. I mean, I still think the whole album is great. But at the time, it just blew my little mind. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to do music like that and incorporate uh, John Carpenter synth style stuff. Mm. And I'd never heard anyone really do that before. Yeah. It's not necessarily that people weren't doing it, but I hadn't heard that yet. I think it was 2008 or seven. Anyways, uh, a friend of mine was just like, oh, like Justice. And I was like, what's, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. And that album had just came out cross. Yeah. Because they have like a... it's not necessarily John Carpenter, but it was like the, it had the distorted sounds I wanted mixed with synths yeah. and, but still with like a house beat kind of driving it, just the kick and the snare. I think the first time he said like justice, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Just like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the way anyone does it like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But then uh, I actually heard it and it just destroyed me. I think that album is perfect. Well, that song, remember they used that track on a commercial. I think it was even like a phone company commercial. Oh, yeah? What the fuck? I can't Which believe- track? Why can't I think of the name? I've heard it so many times. Like the fucking down. Oh, f- I can't even- Can I even sing it? Down, 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 down. Yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. It's the, it's, the, it's the song. It gets the song. Coming up, the acapella justice. Yeah. <laughs> like Kavinsky, I remember when that came out, it was just like, wow, this is perfect. This is great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I mean, it's still so good. I'm, well, who produced it? was was um, Mr. Wazo produce that right i love that fucking mr wazo video with the puppets yeah Lappy. is that the one where the cat's like a businessman or he's like talking on the phone yeah he's like a, a boss with a phone i love that thing. video <laughs> i haven't seen it in a long time but that video always makes me laugh whenever i fucking yeah he's great but yeah like um this was like the kind of music that i wanted to exist and just because of that it wasn't as easily accessible and that it didn't have a name i didn't find it until like 2013 Mm-hmm. And then I started the podcast pretty shortly after I did. Mm-hmm. I was like maybe like four or five months after finding it, you know, and Perturbator was the way in, Hotline Miami, the game, mm-hmm. watching the movie Drive before it became like the fucking meme central of the synthwave scene. Like mm-hmm. I remember listening to, I was listening to like a movie podcast and everyone would always single out the score or the soundtrack, I guess. And so I was like, oh, that sounds like something I'd like. Like so naively now when I think about how saturated the, the synth scene is with like new artists like every day. I mean, yeah. like, look, I get emails constantly with like people who's like, hey, I started a, I started some making music too. And like, they've got like one song and what's well, so easy to make a generic yes it, i have a song on one of my albums which i forget album which album but it's called tropical and it's funny like i looked at a that is a i do like that song oh thanks no like we're gonna listen to that later i was looking at the comments to one video of it on youtube and they were like oh finally i was listening to the like the album didn't dig any track and then this came up and like i pooped that track out in like 45 minutes start to end because it was just like i want to make i'm just gonna make a generic alternating between two bass tones mm. dun 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 Dun, dun, dun. And it's not that I, I think it's bad or, or anything. It's just that it's probably like the least thought I put into a track ever. Because I just was like, I'm going to do a synth 
song. I'm not like a mystical dude, but like there are certain things where like when you tune into like certain frequencies or whatever, it like resonates with people. And I think you can get that in movies, right? Where just there's something about a movie hitting the right beats mm-hmm. that you might be like, oh, I've seen this before, or whatever. But there's something when when they do it correctly that you can play by the rules of storytelling, because like, there are rules, you know, sort of like, hey, you know, you can structure your film in these these three acts and you can do these things and if you if you do all this you can still there's still leeway to be creative and surprising but if you stick to these rules it's it it resonates with people in a way and i think music has that too Mm -hmm. and so you might think like oh you know i i did this thing in fucking 40 minutes and whatever but sometimes there are some songs and some of my favorite songs uh, by people that are so simple and when i tell them to that I, i don't mean it as an insult where i'm just like dude like this song is three notes but it's the fucking right three notes. Like you hit the right three notes, the fucking right tempo, and for whatever was going on, it makes the song cool. And then you know, because obviously people can put in way too much thought, way too much work into a track, it becomes hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that's why sophomore albums tend to, on a grand scale, sophomore albums tend to suck. Because I think people, it just there's the tendency to overthink stuff. I think it's like, which direction am I going into now? And it's like, yeah. well, you know, maybe people want to hear kind of, <laughs> yeah kind of are there for what you did the first time and not saying like keep repeating everything you can definitely grow as a producer but like i work in film Mm. and just when you hear a critique of something sometimes by someone who's totally not in film totally doesn't watch a lot of movies Mm. sometimes just that honest like yeah that's confusing i don't get that and you're like oh we've been hashing over this idea for months and like you know we've way overthought this at this point yeah 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 and sometimes just those fresh eyes and sometimes just if someone's young and they have a fresh idea that just yeah you know no i think that too and i think with with first albums part of what often makes them strong is that maybe a lot of these songs have been not necessarily like recorded but have been like sort of building you know like the ideas and the concepts have been sort of building and had this thing in the works whatever for years and then you put out an album and it's the culmination of like all the cool ideas you've had over the past little while you, you can have things building where you finally get to put them out and be like here's this cool thing then the sophomore album is like now do that again but in a year you know like now, <laughs> now you have a year to come out with a thing that you've maybe like your whole life has culminated up until this point yeah. of this album and now you know you've got to do something else in a relatively short amount of time and then that that can also be a factor too of that like second album thing like i'm a big fan of depeche mode mm-hmm. and i think like yeah their second album is is their worst like when i go back and really because which one is that it's like speak and spell and it's just a weird album like it's got some songs i like but it's overall like when i listen back to it, i'm like what a weird but they're a weird band anyways they had violator right well violator was the 90s like that's i think it's actually is 1990 i like that album no Violator's great uh because their first album is like 81 that i just can't get enough but then they had a fourth what the fuck was the guy's <laughs> vince gill it was like a pop music producer guy that went on to actually i just read this and i don't know if this is true but that song fucking uh, christ look said did a cover of it all i needed was a love you gave all i ever knew only you it must be called only you um because <laughs> they ended up doing that with a different band with like a female singer but it, it would have been a depeche mode song had that dude still been in and that was like a hit thing because mm-hmm. depeche mode's always been like such a weird band like they yeah. just they're on the fringes of being popular but they always make very weird decisions with their tracks and they're really melancholy and so you see like all these other artists that were just more that had more like mainstream appeal that would just get the limelight but they still wrote cool songs mm-hmm. that's my depeche mode story <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, how about this? Let's listen to another Judge Bitch song. Do it. I'm going to go into my iPod here because I made a list of the ones I liked. Uh, Striker was a cool song. That's the one that features Perturbator. Yeah. So we can talk about that and we'll listen to it now, man. That was a fun one. So here's fucking, well, it's not fucking Striker. It's just called Striker. Fucking Striker. <laughs> Striker up. by Judge Bitch featuring Perturbator. That was Striker featuring Perturbator by Judge Bitch. And I'm here in Judge Bitch's kitchen. I'm going to call you Adam from now on. It sounds weird oh, to fine. call you bitch to your face. <laughs> <laughs> we got some pots and pans hanging above us. T-Fowl, what are you looking at? There's a boner painting. A friend of mine whose dad is an artist, his dad's just like this super flamboyant dude. And he, he does like a lot of these paintings of like male nudes with boners. And like when I approach like pretentiousness and art, mm-hmm. it makes me laugh. Like, like not in a bad way. Like I'm happy. Like I like artists. I'm, I'm friends with artists. Like I, I like that sort of 
crew, but I also find it funny. And so when I see someone like painting nudes, there's an immature part of me that wants to make fun of it because it's funny to me. <laughs> like when I would see this dude and I could, so like he's got all these paintings and I just called them boner paintings and I still do like just like, hey, have you done any more boner paintings? Because like to me, for some reason, it makes me laugh. Oh, that's why it's there. I thought the boner was funny. Yeah. So. <laughs> No, my girlfriend found that painting in the garbage behind her um, <laughs> behind her business. And uh, it says 94 in the bottom, so it's an antique. Yeah, it's not his dad's style. Uh, anytime I see a painting with a dude with a boner, I just think of my buddy's dad's paintings. Even though it's not all he does, but like that's... <laughs> anyway, that's another fucking <laughs> tangent for you. So tell me a story. So like you, you're from Eastern Canada. Mm-hmm. You come over. So, what year did you come to Ontario, Toronto? Uh, about two years ago. No, no. I mean Ottawa, though, because you say Ottawa was a while ago. Uh, it's so complicated. I was there for like a year, almost two years, and then I was there again. So you were like bouncing back and forth. Yeah. When did you start working in film? About like twelve years ago. Out east. Yeah. So, what kind of projects were you working on then? I started in feature films. Didn't do too much in features. I kind of transitioned into like reality TV, documentary, corporate, commercial kind of stuff. What's the stuff that they shoot out east? Like in terms of documentary TV and stuff like that? A bit of everything. I mean, there is a a pretty big feature scene in Halifax for the size of it. Okay. And a lot of documentaries go through shooting like East Coast, Atlantic stuff and stuff on the ocean. I I worked on the show Oak Island for a few years there too. Oak Island. Do you know what that is? It's about this island that um, they've been looking for treasure for there for hundreds of years. Hmm. Is it good? They're on season six now or something? (laughs) No, no, there's some statistic like they get like three million viewers a an episode or something like the first time it airs it's a hit show i never know is it canadian the company's out of la but okay. i mean they can't move the island so yeah yeah sometimes i always wonder like how canadian shows function like mm-hmm. you know when they're actual like canadian productions it's yeah. like how much audience do you need to survive as like a canadian show because i know there's lots of subsidies and stuff as well Def- yeah it's a very different system and how you measure success in that system is very different and I won't go into it at all because I'd totally be talking out of my butt Yeah, because I just don't know but yeah. um, I know it is very different yeah like I've got a lot of friends in production too like I went to film school but I, I learned pretty quickly that uh, I don't function well on a set Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm, I'm, I don't like the stress of it. Like it's I see, very, yeah, very stressful. And you have to have a certain temperament. Like there's a lot of people I know. Like I don't necessarily break under it, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And I've known lots of people who become very angry people the second when you're on set. The second there's like time limits and money and all this stuff that like it changes certain people yeah. to be like and the hours and the. I couldn't imagine most people being told you have to be at work tomorrow at 4 a.m. Yeah. And we're not going to feed you for six hours till lunch. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a very different set of conditions you got to work under, but it's got its perks for sure. That's the thing. Like, so I have a lot of friends who do, and you need that sort of flexibility, like that life flexibility, I think, in order to do it. You know, like once you have things like responsibilities, keeping you a place like kids and things like this, like it's, it, I could see it being hard. Like, cause all my friends who do it, they're mostly like single mm-hmm. or, don't but have children because yeah. because the hours right it's super tough on families I, I honestly don't know how people do it like i don't have i just got a puppy but i don't have any kids mm-hmm. and I, I it would be really really tough it, it's crazy though as far as the production in toronto goes because there's a lot of stuff going on yeah it's definitely gotten a lot more and so i got friends in like uh, vfx and mm-hmm. other things like that and they you know they're always finding work i think like that star trek show that new one like i feel like they bought or not bought, but like they rented like that whole studio space for like years or something. Like they, oh, like, maybe yeah. They're the, shooting now. They just started and they're going till December. Yeah, like I think they literally like, did that in like a block where they're just like we're just gonna rent this studio for like five years or something, and then yeah. like they already had that sort of 
map it out. I'm a sound person, so in my um, my department, you have to own all your own equipment. So that takes a long time to. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a barrier for entry, actually. I think for a lot of people, it took me most of my twenties. Just any extra money I had went to like sound gear. Yeah. But do you get to, when you say like you come in like with your own equipment, like is that, um, do you rent it? Like no. is that is that part of it or is that just like your fee includes the fact that you're coming along with a recorder? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because camera doesn't. Camera, well, typically. Sometimes camera owns it, but uh, usually they, they're all renting because yeah. cameras just change so often. Well, I was talking to uh, uh, JP from uh, Lamatos about that because he, yeah. he's got a red. and so Oh, he owns a red? Yeah. So nice. That's... that's See, as a sound guy, I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're the noisiest cameras to deal with, and they just, they always take weird inputs depending on which red it is, and Mm. yeah, that's a thing for for sound people. Yeah, red red can go fuck itself. Yeah, that's the thing. They come with their own unique problems, like uh, it was probably really expensive to buy. Yeah, and And the image looks awesome, I won't lie. There's, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of reasons to get one. It's just, as a sound guy, that's the one camera that's like, oh, fuck, red. God. (laughs) Especially the new one, too, has this fan that turns on. I mean, imagine if my sound equipment suddenly started spewing light everywhere. (laughs) I wouldn't last long on set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet they have a camera that is like, like you have to talk over it. If it's kicked into like a, it's 8K or whatever. That's interesting because I, I like I've never been near one. I would just assume like, oh, like the whole function of these digital only cameras was that there's yeah. not like moving shit inside. You but think, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's some some of the newer reds are abhorrent with the amount of self noise they make. Mm. And uh, especially I believe it's in the 8K mode. They just it's like having a refrigerator on set, which I just unplugged my refrigerator before yeah, we started. Yeah. That must be noted. <laughs> I should talk to him about that actually because I never knew. Like I didn't know that was a, an aspect of the oh, red. This is just sound guy gripe. No, no, of I'd course. Say no, it with yeah. a smile because like um, I love the camera people I work with, and uh, I do think the red camera is a fantastic tool. It's mostly like you know, talk and shop. No, no, I know. I get it. I get it. I totally understand. When when you have your thing that you're good at, like your sort of realm of expertise, and then like all the nerdy complaints that that go along with it. Oh, 100 percent. And we're such a small department too mm-hmm. that like sound guys really bound together, or not sound people. I ask sound people. Well, whatever. Sound guys is fun. I call girls guys. Like if I'm like <laughs> if I see a group of people and it's like, hey guys, let's go, let's move on here. Let's go to the Gridiron album, sure, and uh, we'll talk about a cool song called Anaconda, and we'll listen to it because it's cool. This is Anaconda by Judge Bitch. Thank you. 
That was Anaconda by Judge Bitch. And I'm here right now in Adam's kitchen. You've got, uh, besides pots hanging above my head, there's also a baseball cap Mm. hanging from a pot hook. It's a... Ace Hill Beer. I got this. I'm working on a home reno show with uh, Scott McGilvery, and he owns a portion of the company. So they gave out these hats at the end of the day. Sweet. A couple <laughs> weeks ago, yeah. It was like, Adam, A. Is that what you're doing now? That show has a sporadic schedule, so I'll be on and off throughout May. Good show, though. Great guy. I gotta say, he's pretty nice. I'm not like a alpha male dude, really, or like necessarily interested in like guy things, you know, like tools and all this stuff. But well, I mean, uh, I didn't think that there's a game seven hockey game going on for yeah. this city right now as we speak. <laughs> And the NBA game for this city is in its playoffs as yeah. we speak. But when I watch like renovation shows, I am captivated and maybe there is like some inherent maleness to it about seeing people who are good, who have an expertise and like put it to use that has like some sort of physical um, result. And for, so so when I watch, like I'm over intellectualizing right now, but like when I watch like home renovation shows, like I am very like captivated by them. Like mm-hmm. when a dude walks in and goes like, yeah, like they know what they're going to do and what the layout's going to be. And then you watch them build and they're building nice straight lines because like my dad did most of the work like he he renovated this old victorian house and when he bought it like the house i grew up in it was in shambles when he bought it this was like in the 70s or something and like the previous owner had like shot up the walls like with shotgun and like rode a motorcycle in the house and shit so the whole thing was (laughs) trashed my aunt he brought her to the house to show her the house and when she found out like that was the house he was gonna like bring his wife to like she started crying so he did a lot of cool stuff like he he fixed up the house nicely but he's not like an expert so there's a lot of like fucking diagonal lines of things and like weird like the stuff isn't perfect and so i think for some reason because of that i've always found um when people do like a nice job i find it really compelling Mm -hmm. so when i watch like those uh uh, renovation shows like i'm just like yeah like seeing them spray the foam in and it goes in so perfect before they put the drywall on and like doing all these like straight lines and putting the countertop and i'm pretty much the same way like i just don't know a lot of that stuff Mm. just was never something i ever had to deal with and uh working on this show i just love absorbing you know because i'm listening to everyone everyone's wired up and just hearing what's going on like how to how to do stuff that light actually up there the bulb broke out of it but the base is still in it right and so i was going up to to change it but i kind of wussed out because i'm like fuck well just if if the switch is off is this gonna like electrocute me still yeah so the next day we're at the home reno show we're changing a light like that Mm. and so i asked the one of the um technicians there and he was just like ah i won't kill you (laughs) yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I was like, so is there power in it? He's like, maybe. Is it an older house? Like, well, kind of. It's like, okay, well, there's a good chance that the, there's still power going through it, even if you have the switch off, if it's an older home. Hmm. And, uh, but yeah, he's like, it'll it'll hurt, but uh, it won't kill you. <laughs> so that's, that's why that light works. Well, that's cool. <laughs> when it comes to trades, like, I don't know any, but I'm very envious of people that do. Right? I, I, I just I, wish I had more lives to live for. I know. You know, like, what 20 years, what would you do? If you had a complete, like, separate life for fun, and not just one, like, just what's something you would like to do? Armor. Really? I want to know how to iron Blacksmith? Work. Yeah. But, like, cool stuff. Like, okay. Because it's so far removed from anything that I do. Yeah. But I'm very compelled, and I don't have a reason for this, by molten anything. So like when I, I'll watch videos on YouTube where people are like pouring molten salt into stuff and making it explode. And I love seeing molten metal. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just from like watching Terminator 2 at like a young age <laughs> and like always being fascinated by like liquid metal. Yeah. But whenever I see metal in its liquid form, I'm always like so in pretty quiet. Cool. Yeah. Especially in glass, molten glasses. Yeah, no, molten, molten anything. I love, <laughs> like, I know it's, I don't, I have, I have no good reason why, but molten stuff is cool to me. And I've always wanted to be able to make, cause I'm bad at every, like, I mean, I've got this set 
at home. Like I've, I've built a, the Beyond Synth TV set and it's all very cheap materials. Right. And so it's always falling apart and I'm always patching it and I never even, I film one episode every like four months or five months and in between that time I'm like patching it up every time. I'm like, fuck, I wish I was better at this. Like I wish I just knew how to construct a thing, like had the math in my head of just like, here's where you put the fucking support things and here's all the <laughs> stuff you got to do. Like I would love that. And maybe that's why I find those renovation things compelling because there is something like I, I, I I like seeing people build real things, mm-hmm. like real things. I think that's why I like analog synths. I like real, just chunky, real stuff. I have an analog synth and I never, ever use it. <laughs> I think it's on like two songs. I have a Prophet 8 mm. that I think is on maybe two tracks. It's mental though. It's it's like, I know you can achieve those sounds using VSTs and I'm not a purist. Like if a song sounds cool, I'm not going to pretend to be some nerd and be like, oh, I can tell that that's the real deal. Yeah, analog. I'm like, in a treated room and the whole signal path from yeah. it is perfect. <laughs> and like, fuck. Honestly, by the time I've like all the distortions gone through everything that i use like mm. it doesn't even matter where it comes from like yeah and it, it's still super cool i don't want to be like any anti analog i still mm. every now and then i'll plug it in just to play it just yeah, to yeah. hear like really smooth waves like yeah. uh <laughs> you know that like old m83 track i think it's called waves it's just like maybe and it's it's yeah. just like almost ambience mm. it's just so cool yeah i love old m83 a lot i'm so bad because like you know ever since i started the podcast i primarily just listen to synthwave mm-hmm. but i have a very broad definition of what that means so that's pretty much like every piece of electronic music i found since then that like people send me or that i see so i still have like a big music folder of all the stuff i listened to before but i just don't find myself going to it you actually live fairly close to long McQuay. like whenever i go rent stuff oh, I'll, really? I'll always go into the where but i just moved here so the one on blur yeah blur and light Cause, oh, okay cause blur yeah. and ossington like that's where long McQuaid is you're right yeah and uh whenever i rent microphones i'll always go into the keyboard section just like fuck around with some <laughs> keyboards and look at the price tag and be like fuck because they sound so good but i mean i know they've got them hooked to some really nice speakers and like you know you just look down and like this korg is like eight thousand dollars and like <laughs> But that store is cool because they'll rent like anything. Oh, yeah? like, that's what's cool about that place. It would be really funny to to just do a joke album because it wouldn't cost that much if you had something planned out mm-hmm. for a week. Like just go in and just rent like top end synthesizers and like recording equipment because, you know, it'd be like a few hundred bucks. Like it's not that much to rent stuff from there. Like fucking thousand dollar keyboard. Like they'd probably rent it for like 125 bucks for like the week or something. And like mm-hmm. it's really reasonable that place. Mm-hmm. I want them to sponsor me. <laughs> Cough, cough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me some microphone. Well, we talked about it before. You mentioned it, but let's listen to it now. A track called Tropical. You know what? I didn't mean like pooped it out as in like, I I just... No, I understand what you what mean. I just meant was it was the fastest I'd ever done a song. And it was probably the least thought into it on that album, I guess. What I don't like is when, is the opposite of what you did, is when people say that as, as like something that they're like almost like proud of. You know, we're just like, hey, I, I hardly worked on this thing and it's great kind of thing. Like when you acknowledge that like, hey, you know, I just did a quick thing, but it ends up being a cool song. You know, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference because I, like I have had conversations like that with people where it's sort of like, yeah, I just, you know, I just made this song in like one hour and you know, this stuff. And sometimes I sort of I have this reaction to that where I'm like, oh, well, maybe it would be even cooler if you spend longer <laughs> on it. You know, like it's not a bad thing, but sometimes there there's certain tracks that just for whatever reason, you know, that's all it took to fucking create the magic wasn't that that saying uh love's like a fart if you have to push it it's probably shit (laughs) (laughs) well listen we're gonna listen to this now because it's a cool song this is tropical by judge bitch 
was Tropical by Judge Bitch. And I'm here. <laughs> I'm here in the kitchen of Judge Bitch right now. We Judge have, Kitch. Yeah, yeah, Judge Kitch. We're in the Judge Kitch. There's a this sort of like a center island table thing. Did this come with the place? Yeah. Is this fixed to the ground? Yeah, I think so. It looks like you can move heavy. it. But oh, no, actually, you can't move it. It's got legs. Actually, that was one thing when I moved in here. They said counter high table. I'm like, great. You know, it seems cool. Mm. Then I went to buy chairs for it. And it's not like a normal... You can't just... They have to be counter high chairs. They all have to be new. And yeah, that's that sucks. I hate spending money on chairs. Well, you can always just uh, get normal chairs, but then just get a bunch of blocks of wood. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> just a log on the other yeah. side. Some cinder blocks. <laughs> Why not? So, what were your connections then, like with film stuff when you moved over? Like, did you come here because there was already prospect of work? We lost the film tax credit in Nova Scotia okay. in 2015, and a lot of us jumped ship uh, at that point. It's actually kind of cool here now for me having so many other East Coasters here because mm-hmm. we all left kind of at once. In addition, it was just like it was like if I don't move now, I never will kind of thing. I was like 32. It was just like yeah, you know, I think I'll probably never leave Halifax if I don't move now, and so why not give it a try? I've never been to Halifax. I've heard it's very pretty. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. I love back home. I'll, I'm sure I'll be back someday. Is it cold? Uh, yeah, a little colder than here. It's it's almost like I didn't realize it until I'd been here for like over a year that I was like, wow, it just it's foggy all the fucking time back home. It's just like I see people's like Insta <laughs> videos and everything. It's like, oh, it's raining again. Because yeah. it's, you know, what was it? Two summers here. It was just shorts weather from April 1st to like October or something. Mm. Like... It was just endless summer. And, you know, I'm, yeah, seeing Insta and it's like, what, you're still snowing? Yeah. I actually, I went back to do Trailer Park Boys summer before last and uh, we were shooting this boat chase. Mm. And this was in mid late June, winter jackets. Like, and we weren't out to open sea or anything. We were just like off the coast. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's like, yeah, I was in snow pants and a winter jacket because fucking cold yeah and our weather here is like fucked though too man because last week i recorded a show with uh, lamatos and computer magic and that was the night of the ice storm when i got home it was like a christmas day the road was ice there was snow everywhere like the, the snow was like almost like a foot high it sucked. uh it was freezing and then cut to next week we're walking around without jackets and it's yeah. like warm i mean today was raining i walked over here from my place and it was well, like did you pass hard. that tree that fell over on my street there no Really? I didn't see didn't it. See it. Oh, it was just on the sidewalk there. A like, huge tree fell out, mm. crushed a car, crushed oh, no. the hood. It was during that ice storm, and uh, this is a one-way street, so there was no way to get in here. And I had a bunch of jobs around that, like, it was like a day and a half before oh, I got rid fuck. of it. I had one, um, I was shooting in the Sky Dome. Actually, yeah, I was shooting in the Sky Dome last week, and uh, the roof, ice came off the CN Tower mm. and hit the roof, and it went through. And so we're just, we're shooting this 5G event for Rogers, and um, I just hear like, bah! it was just, you know that sound when it's like, you can just tell something really, really big hit something really big, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> it's just really low end and just massive. Like so when Godzilla's fighting people? Yeah, it was, was just, I've never heard anything. So you were there thing. when that happened? Yeah, in, in it was just like, it only must have been like, 50 people in there or something like that mm-hmm. we're just filming this thing and uh yeah the snow started coming down through and like all these there were like 10 leaks it was crazy that's fucked yeah because i remember like reading the story that they were shutting it down because of fallen yeah fallen ice so you were actually there and you heard it oh yeah that's fucking crazy yeah and they had all these buckets out capturing the the rain coming yeah. through <laughs> it was just gnarly weather for like a week that was yeah no it was, was fucking shitty. it was fucked so 
Was that the only season of Trailer Park Boys you worked on, or did, was that something you were doing when you were out east? That was the only season I worked on, and I, I came back to that. I was living here, and just mm. um, the, the guy mixing it, uh, Andrew Riley, uh, he's a buddy of mine, so he's just like, can you come back? Because they were pretty hard up for uh, sound people at the time, because yeah. a lot of people left. Yeah. So, okay, my first film job ever, uh, the band broke up, I was in Ottawa, mm. and I was sleeping on a... A couch of this director, a young sound mixer came in, Zan Rosborough. He needed a boom op for a Trailer Park Boys spinoff called Judge Fred. And it had um, the late John Dunsworth. He was this judge and uh, Randy was his bailiff. Mm. And uh, I didn't know how to hold a boom pole or do anything. It was like just thrown in like, I mean, it was it was an easy job for me and, and like a great learning experience. But I remember being in there and, you know, like a film set's lit for a, a certain time of day. So mm. it kind of can fuck with your internal clock for the day. Yeah. I had thought like four hours tops had gone by, three or four hours, because they had a fake clock in there too, so I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I remember leaving, I went out to uh, the craft table, which I didn't touch because I kept being like, I, this food's not for me. And they're like, no, you can eat it. And I just wasn't used to it. And um, it was like 12 hours had gone by. And it's like, oh my God, like I'm having so much fun doing this that like three times the amount of time that I thought passed happened. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is, you know, and I remember driving home with the, the mixer. I barely knew him. I was like, ah, oh, well, you know, boom ops, hardly a job, you know, maybe someday, but like I got other things to do. He was like, no, no, you know, like this is like an actual career. They have like, there's a union for them and benefits and they get paid this much, which is definitely enough to live off of. And like, I just had no idea. I mean, most people don't know shit about the sound department mm. that was my start for trailer park boys spinoff and then i was a pa on one of their movies and then i was second boom for some scenes on like their third movie or something like that is it fun oh it's fucking awesome well it's 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 kind of why i left feature film for documentary and stuff because i like just wiring up a couple people and running after them in the woods going through whatever they're doing you know and trailer park boys is like follow the puck and so mm. like we'll do a bit of like things are roughly blocked but uh uh, I remember a couple times on this, like, someone will improv something and the camera op who I'm, like, behind because I'm trying to boom everything whips around and I can't be in the shot. I'm a boom operator. Mm. So I just duck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, duck backwards. But uh, I don't know. I love following the puck style shooting. Yeah. It's fun. Must be hard, man. Like, when it comes to boom op stuff, like, I know when I tried to do that and it was only in, like, film school, like, uh, I can't hold a boom mic for more than... Uh, <laughs> you think well, you'd just be like, part. oh, I can hold it for, like... <laughs> and then literally, like, you'll be like, oh, man, your arms start to get tired and then when you actually find out, like, you're only holding it for, like, 30 seconds or something, <laughs> it's just like, Jesus. So as much as it is super annoying when the boom mic comes into the frame, like, I'd have total sympathy for the people <laughs> holding it because it's like... Well, holding it up is one of the easy... Like, you learn techniques, like, you're supposed to have it, like, uh, your arms completely vertical... Well, not supposed to. There's no, like, right and wrong way to do it. But if, if your arms are completely vertical, it's mostly supported by the bone structure of your arm, as opposed to, like, if you're holding it out in front of you, then right. you can't do that for long. So you learn tricks over time. Then you learn how to, like, if you're doing dock, you can kind of tuck it into your ribs for leverage. And, um, <laughs> but just boom off is just tough, because you got you got to know the lens sizes, what that view actually is, because... In every movie, for every close-up or medium shot, there's a boom like an inch out of frame, mm -hmm. and so you got to like ride that line. And yeah. I, you know, I wasn't that awesome at it. Hey, man, do you want to talk about the new uh, the new album? Sure. <laughs> what a great segue. <laughs> well, no, because I, I like to play songs every so many minutes, and so I want to listen to a song from it now. Sure. And then we'll talk about it. You've sent me all the tracks, but I don't know what order they're in. They're in no order yet. Okay, so <laughs> but I'm just going to play a song that I thought was cool. Dope. Uh, it's called Patriot, and we're going to listen to that right now, man. This is Patriot by Judge Bitch. <laughs>
And that was Patriot by Judge Bitch off the new album that has a name? Yes, Horse Blood. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so cool. Horse Blood. Yeah, it sounds pretty metal, eh? Like, mm. What does that mean to you? Just that sounds cool? or It was pretty much just an imagery, sounds cool kind of thing. The whole album is more like a 70s, 80s metal hard rock feel to it. What's going on here? Because this one obviously has a lot more guitars going on, this this whole album. Yes. Talk to me about that, man. And first of all, talk to me about, I'm pointing at you in real life, uh, <laughs> why, uh, you know, because you haven't made stuff in a long time mm-hmm. and then and then now this is coming out. So like, what was the impetus to be like, Judge Bitch has got to come back? Bitch is back. Yeah. Um, life just got real busy. I was on a lot of long shows. But besides that, when I was producing, I was just, I hadn't found, like, I guess my voice about, I kept trying to go in different directions, I guess, and yeah. it just wasn't working. It was, it was what we were talking about earlier, just putting so much work into a track when it's just like, this isn't coming naturally. This isn't, you know. During this time, were you doing things? Musically? Yeah. Or did you actually just put it on hold like you were just too busy to... No, I was making tracks. It's just I didn't think they were any good. They just didn't feel right for me, at least. And I wanted to get back to something that was a little more, I don't know if simple is the word, but just I wanted to get to something that was, yeah, maybe, maybe straightforward. I wanted something too that I could do live with a drummer. Sure. And not have something that was like really glitched apart. And, you know, there's a lot of synth wave now, the, the dark wave. Like, I don't know. That's just, I imagine it'd be pretty tough to do live, or at least it wouldn't be fast live. Because I really yeah. like fast music. Yeah. All the tracks in this album are fast. Mm-hmm. I've never done a really slow song. Working yeah. Out in Jeans is like my only song that's like yeah. kind of slow. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I just wanted something that was like really driving. And another big influence is like a Japanese wrestling entrance themes. It's <laughs> like, yeah. I love, I love, I always laugh at anything specific. I don't know why that makes me laugh. <laughs> Anytime anyone has like a very specific influence or reason, it's it's always interesting to me. So Japanese wrestling entrances. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of synthesizers, very operatic, just like passionate music to get like the crowd going and very kind of over the top feel. To yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. And wrestling themes in general, except for like the new metal ones. I really, I really love old wrestling themes a yeah, lot. Yeah. How do you know about that stuff? Like, do you watch Japanese wrestling? Not too much. A bit. But I wouldn't say like I'm hardcore into it. I, I have friends that are, are really into it. And so I just kind of secondhand picked it up. How long has this been in the works? Eight months. Something yeah. like that. It all kind of like happened pretty quickly, actually. Which is good. You know, it was just like, okay, I kind of found this voice. And then for a guitar, well, I kept thinking like, there's got to be guitar over this. There's got to be guitar over this. Because mm. previously, I think the only guitar I used was actually Perturbator. He did something for me a long time ago and I kept using them. Like I would just mm. cut up the, the guitar stems he sent me and pitch them up and down and kind of layer them in behind things not like an outright solo but just right 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 like that and so i got a tupperware remix party and he's just phenomenal yeah he's just so fucking easy to work with he just he gets it you know like i mean well tupperware remix party are more in the region of my type of music than like most things and uh it was amazing to how quickly we would gel like hardly any notes like he'd be like this and I'd be like that is perfect you know or and I could also direct him he could like there's one of my songs Trash Pandas where at the end he has this like repeating solo part but he gave me he gave me like a file I can just drop into Ableton so it's like okay I'm gonna put this at the beginning instead and then I can copy paste things all over the place and uh yeah he just gets it how did this work like did you have ideas for what you wanted like the guitar melodies to be I'd send him like basically basically the finished song except for guitar often with a space for a solo because i think almost every track on the album has a solo mm. but i thought why not i want fast songs with a solo at the end yeah yeah and, and just with a couple notes being like hey could you mirror 
this synth part at 30 seconds and you know i want the solo from beat it around two minutes in <laughs> i think like most of our emails have me saying like the solo from beat it, yeah. <laughs> in it at some point you know something that rises up to a finger tappy moment or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and uh and yeah and sometimes we'd pass back and forth notes but um he's just such an intuitive player like he's fucking awesome we should listen to that song because it was cool you just showed me a video oh yeah and we shot a video for it i really dug the concept i thought it was fun and funny and uh and this song is called trash pandas by judge bitch by Judge Bitch. And I'm here in Judge Bitch's kitchen. Who came up with the concept of that video? I will assume then if, if this comes out when the music's out that people have seen the video and it's a fun video yeah. with the uh, criminals running around in like ja- leather jackets with uh, raccoon masks on and it was uh, it was really funny. Who, who came up with that concept? One of my roommates, because um, I just moved here a month ago, so mm. uh, a couple of months ago, one of my roommates is a director and I thought, I could have sworn he'd pitched this idea to me of raccoons running a pizza shop. And so... <laughs> 
Yeah, for like a sh- it was a short film or a commercial pitch he had. Mm. And then one day I remember asking him, just being like, <laughs> are you still doing that idea? And he was like, what mm. idea? I was like, you know, the raccoons pizza shop? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think I might have dreamed it. Yeah. <laughs> and so That's I was like, dream. oh, well, I, I want to use that idea he's like okay like mm. i didn't come up with it in the first place yeah yeah i just i wanted to do like kind of a big inspiration was like the justice stress video and i wanted to do like that with raccoons and mm. those masks i just saw them on the internet and i looked out yeah and just yeah like causing mayhem and just and and two from a like i work in film i know kind of vaguely how much things cost and how difficult they are to do and this is just so low on the scale of like you know we want the dirty frames and it was very easy to pull off in the scale of music videos your buddies with the the hobo with the shotgun yeah yeah jason friends from back east again or like yeah. what was the yeah no we were we were living together at the time he's just a buddy from high school like jay's one of my best friends because mm. he was doing the deep dives for this type of music with me we were like so into it mm-hmm. so when hobo came out there wasn't like see it's tough to, i don't want to be like because i'm no authority on this to say like there was nothing like when we did because could totally be, but we just weren't aware of a lot of people doing music like that yeah and we kind of wanted to do like a throwback John Carpenter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Hobo, it's the movie kind of, it's it's weird. It's like, it starts off in the 70s and ends in the 80s kind of musically, which was really cool. And I just did the synth score. There was uh, a couple of people doing like orchestral stuff. And Now, did you did you do this that score as Judge Bitch? No. I, I chose my name because yeah like I know you're saying that in sort of this modesty but like it's true that b- back in that time there was not a ton of projects you know it wasn't like no. when I started the podcast and that was 2013 and that was like mid 2013 and at that point I would say like the biggest names in the scene which are still you know like the big names in the scene but like there wasn't so many I think Laserhawk was around at that time Laserhawk Miami Nights Perturbator but even at that point I mean that's at, the, at a time in the scene even 2013 where you know like Carpenter Brute still had a Facebook and I would like yeah. message him I remember messaging him yeah. uh when he started doing stuff he was another mind-blowing guy like he his stuff was so fucking good yeah you know at that time in the scene there wasn't so many reference points you know now people will message me always going like have you seen every year there's something you know it's like kung fury this year and then it's now this year it's like ninja commando or something whatever like there's always some like kind of goofy throwback project but there was Mm -hmm. a time where when i saw like the trailer for hobo with a shotgun and like it's so gross like because i'm (laughs) I'm not like a big like it's funny because i'm not a big into those 80s like kind of gross out things so i remember like just seeing like that trailer and just being like ah like just like so like (laughs) like just because it was gross yeah but it was it was doing what it was doing like properly and there wasn't that much stuff like that back then (laughs) you know it was like you watch the grindhouse trailer and was like hey this is doing that kind of like 70s vibe i kind of know this and that cheap sort of you'd see these trailers on like an old vhs tape and now there's just so many reference points because there's just so many artists that are you know using the the chrome text and the grids and yeah. all this stuff but honestly like at that time you guys were like the first people like at the at the forefront of this this thing that wasn't the thing and so it's like there was no hub it definitely wasn't a thing yeah and there was no hub connecting so yes it's true like you know when i talked to like laser hawk or miami nights yeah like they were making this sort of music independent of each other and then kind of found each other through those masters of the universe comps and stuff and sure there was bands who and and i would always gravitate towards those bands that had those 80s influences you know like even even when they weren't synth like when they were like the aor like um remember um darkness the darkness because i remember like i had a lot of fun with those like i liked their music and it was just because it was like that throwback kind of glam 80s metal stuff and so any anything that was sort of like reminded me of 80s or like use those kind of synth samples and stuff always interested me 
and and now it just has a a word and there's different hubs that people can find but like there was something pure about the time when you were you guys were doing it because it was definitely just coming from the the love of that time and there wasn't other people necessarily influencing the sound Mm -hmm. and so you know that that's something no something it was was so fun to do like hobo was a dream project and Mm -hmm. it's so great that like oh just that it got made it's amazing that that movie got made so what else did you did you do anything like on the production side of it besides the score well actually the that same sound mixer that got me to do uh judge fred he was getting into stunts a bit so he would do some of the stunt scenes like he got (laughs) shot in the goblin he was wearing that um the the witch mask from halloween 3 that we had in the robbery scene right that was him getting blasted back so his boom up went to mixer and i went to boom up for that scene right okay so i did that and i might have done a couple other very short scenes i mean i wouldn't say like imdb might say it but i'm not like boom operator on hobo but right, i did okay. hold the boom a couple times but i worked with uh, this guy kevin frazier to do all the behind the scenes for hobo mm. And we shot some really cool vignettes of like, we shot a lot of things in the hobo special features that you never see in normal movies. Like we would interview, we interviewed everyone. We interviewed like the stunt coordinator and mm. just, and a lot of these people were like, no one's ever asked me anything before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the sound mixer, we the boom up, everyone. Mm. And we're just like, you know, what's it like? I mean, yeah. you know, tell us about your job. Your What do you think about this project? Yeah, I would say, like, uh, if anyone out there gets the chance, I think it's on the Blu-ray. I mean, it's on the DVD, too. But the special features on Hobo, the um, More Heart, More Blood, that's really special, I think. And, and it's Kevin's baby. Like, I, I was just mostly a consultant slash doing the audio for him. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. And I did the music for, we had a little couple vignettes with music, but there's one on the blood truck, because we used so much blood in that movie, and just mm. how much blood we had, and all these buckets. <laughs> It was so fun. That was such a great, great experience. How was Rudger Hauer? Uh, great. Good. Is that how you say his name? Rudger? Is it Rudger? I thought, I don't know. I never talked to him much. I mean, I remember the first time I was in the production office and I forget, fucking around with something and turning around and it was like right there, like medium. And yes. I just like, I mean, even if you didn't know Rudger Hauer was a famous person, he's a fucking intimidating guy to look at. Those eyes can yeah, just yeah. burn <laughs> through. And I remember turning and just, like it just, yeah. my heart skipped a beat. And I like... <laughs> was looking at Rudger Hauer who was like three feet from me nice but uh no he was he was great because I mean it was Jason's first film directing like mm. first real budget feature and that like he said every take he would give him something different and he said that was like he he thought it was like what I don't know what separated him from being from other actors or, or separated professional from someone else I, I don't know if it's that but like he just said it was just like wow the caliber of this guy because Jason edited it too mm-hmm. so he's just looking you know each take he's just some look off he did or just he would add something yeah that was really really great and just uh, I think he did a fantastic job to get back to the uh, the album because it oh, sure. it's, it's about time to fucking play another song what's the track on here that you're uh, particularly mm, I like with? the track Animal Weapons a lot Animal Weapons yeah it's got this like really cool um, build up that it's like palm muting halfway through. Well, let's listen to this, man. This is Animal Weapons by Judge Bitch. One, two, three, four.
Animal Weapons by Judge Bitch. And I am in the kitchen of Judge Bitch looking at these hanging pots again. I mean, we do have a kitchen island, but we don't have one of these like hanging pot things. But I always like looking at them like when you watch like cooking shows and they just have these kitchens that are, they're just formatted so perfectly for cooking. <laughs> it makes me happy to see. Yeah. <laughs> just, let's just look at these pots for a while. This no, it's good. a good like East Coast kitchen party kitchen. <laughs> you know, like you could have a lot of people in here. Where are you going to put that dog? Where's his bed going to be? It's pro- probably over there by the couch. We'll put his crate right in there. I see you got a PlayStation. Are you playing anything? The Division right now. I'm playing a lot of that. Have you just been playing that for like a year? Or? I usually buy a system for like two games, mm. unless there's like a new Street Fighter, which actually I might buy the Switch just for that Street Fighter. Right. But no, I bought it for all my buds were playing Destiny 2 at the time. And it was guys back home. So we kind of used it as like a group chat. Mm. Like I would enter that game sometimes and not even play. I just have the controller in the pocket of a hoodie. I'd have the earpiece in and I'd be like making craft dinner, talking to all my friends. I always sort of reminisce to the days right where we'd uh, be playing like multiplayer games and uh, I have a policy on the show where I don't talk about a particular game anymore because I talk about it too much. You mean one game in particular? Yeah, uh, it was a, a four-player first-person shooter that starred Pierce Brosnan <laughs> on the N64. Yeah, we're similar age. I think it was it dominated our lives at some point. Yeah, so I can't uh, talk about it. But it's funny because when I think about it, I think that was like the going to coffee of my friends group it was like <laughs> we play games but it was more about the social aspect of just like we're in the you know we're in the room we're like you know having drinks and just playing games and like that's what we did right so that social aspect has always been built into me and so it's like i understand that sort of thing where it's just like yeah you join the game and it's just like hey this is where i'm connecting with my friends and, and we're talking and that's what we're doing and because i'm not super nostalgic for high school or the 90s like i didn't necessarily have like a cool high school <laughs> experience like i think back and i was annoyed by a lot of it like i didn't love school like i didn't hate it but i didn't love it right but um playing N64 with friends and stuff was like the fun social thing. You know, that's where we talked where I knew other people would be like, let's go to coffee. And I'm like, it's the same fucking thing except we're just <laughs> holding controllers, but we're still like hardly focused on the game. You play it enough, it becomes second nature and then really it's just about having jokes and chatting with your buddies and it's almost like yeah. your fingers are doing like they're automated like they're just doing the same stuff no totally I, I totally agree we used to play a lot of Street Fighter 2 that's my game yeah <laughs> mine was Mortal Kombat I I played some Street Fighter with some people the other day at Tilt and like I got my ass kicked I'm fucking so shitty at it because we went to um Mecha Maiko. Is that how you say it? Mecha Maiko? Yeah, Me- Mecha Maiko. Yeah, because you, you were there, right? You yeah, were there yeah. for her release thing, yeah. Because the, their Street Fighter machine was set on super hard. Because when I lived with Jason, we had a real Street Fighter 2 machine. Mm-hmm. So I played the shit out of it. And we could change the uh, difficulty level so you know what it what it's doing. Yeah. And I'm just like, right away, I'm like, serious? You have this on, like, the hardest setting. And I mean, it's fucking AI from 20 years ago. So it just responds to variety. So it's like, this is dumb. This isn't like Street Fighter at all. Like, my game was Mortal Kombat 2, and it has, like, the cheapest AI in the history of of AI. It's like when you play against the computer, it doesn't fight like a person. It fights like a computer that just predicts everything you're going to do. Yeah. And the computer in Mortal Kombat also has the ability to do things that human players can't do. <laughs> so it's like if you're playing as like uh, Katana, like she throws a fan and you actually can't do two fan throws in a row if you're a human. Like it actually like it blocks you from doing it. But the computer has the ability to just fucking just spam fan, <laughs> fan throws at you. So like not only was it super cheap and like the second you would throw a punch, it's like if you watch it in slow motion, like the second the computer knew what button input you were doing, they would just do the move that counters your move. I still liked it though, but... Yeah, was, I, oh, I, when we had the cabinet, I used to play it all the time. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think it's still on Jason's right now. I don't know if it's working. Okay, or not. so tell me this because, like, 
it's weird. I have no actual real work. Like I've played Street Fighter a lot in my mm-hmm. life. I've owned them. I have like you know like the HD. HD remix, re- remix. That's on, good. Yeah, like in, and it's actually that might be my favorite. I like HD re- remasters. I like them because it's like they take the nostalgia of how you remember a game and actually make it look like how you remember it. So like when I play the HD remaster, it's like yes, this is what Street Fighter looks like. And then when you go back and play it on an emulator, you're like oh right, it was like super pixelated and shitty. But like <laughs> when I was a kid, when I first saw Super Nintendo, yeah, and I saw Super Mario World, the person owned Super Mario World and they owned Street Fighter, and I just remember going like fuck, this looks amazing, looks like a fucking cartoon, and then you go back and and look at it now and it's pixelated as shit and like the hd remaster just was like yes this is what my memory says street fighter looks like <laughs> well they tweaked it a lot too they bounced the they bounced it a lot those are things so, i wouldn't notice like oh I, we, we we do deep dives in street fighter 2 yeah <laughs> yeah oh honestly it's i fucking love that game and there's definitely lots of fucking classic songs I and mean, that's the one thing that sort of like stands out to me like yeah, I love- the music was dope in that game I mean, still, like, they're classics. You can hum them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Well, See, they're all good. That, that's so classic that the game could, like, that and Mega Man 2. There's, yeah. like, a, a handful <laughs> of games that just have, like, Rescue Rangers also had an amazing soundtrack. You know, there's, like, a handful that are, like, just just classic. I've been going back in. There's a website uh, called Zofar's Domain that is, like, my resource for old video game music. Is that an old site? Yes. But it's still up. Like really old? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I've been there. And it now, but what he's been doing lately, he's just collating, I think that's the word, like MP3s of just like all old retro games. And so now like you go to the website, you just click on an old game and then you can just download like a folder mm-hmm. with just all the MP3s like labeled properly, like just like level one, boss music, this and that. And so it's been a great resource to just go back because I'm trying to find like classic video game music that I never heard that might be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so uh, I found some pretty cool ones. There was like this this D and D series on like the regular NES that I'd never played in my life, and there was some of it's them. It's tough. Some... Is it the like it's got like Dragonlance characters in it? Like that might be. It. There was like a few that are like they're they're D and D labeled, but they have different subtitles. You know, mm-hmm. it'd be like D and D fucking Dragon Master and D and D whatever. I remember that game, Ugh. but uh, it, it had some cool tracks, and I, like I'd never heard them before because like I never played the game. Like I love old uh, video game music because when you only have those little fucking bleeps and boops and like only so many sounds, the power was in the fucking catchiest melody right and like well it's funny too when you think of like people pick up their musical tastes and stuff from stuff they hear when they're kids or at least influences them in some of course yeah and people our age listen to hours and hours of looped like fusion jazz a lot of the time like this old like like mario level two i never thought of it that way it's really complicated weird music and mm. it's on like these short loops that you're listening to over and over again that are yeah. like yeah like i listen to like synthesized jazz music often as a child that's it's so funny when you think about generation that. did that it's interesting though because i've said this a few times on the show it's like in my head and i guess it's part of the the charm of of classic video games is because in your head you are filling in the blanks of what the graphics aren't delivering right so you are imagining it's almost like reading a book it's like you see a little square on screen with a fucking pointy hat you see an elf that's link but really when you look at the sprite it's a fucking square with like two dots and like a line at the side and and doesn't look like anything but you in your head know and in your memory you think oh it looks like an elf and the music as well and i think you can tell when people are influenced by video game music but they take it in different directions so there's some people who like there's certain songs you listen to old uh, chiptune nes super nintendo songs genesis where 
If you have the ear for it, you can go, this is metal. Like, I, this is metal that I'm hearing. There's a right lot now. of metal in that, yeah. And Mega Man 2 is pretty metal, I think. Yeah, and but there's also ways that sometimes where you hear it in kind of more classical and you just think, I would love to hear this with just like high end synths. And, and sometimes you hear it and it's like, this would be wicked with guitars. And it just depends on like. And for me, there was, um, when I think about what happened to Nintendo after the NES and with the Super Nintendo and then into the N64 era where they really, it almost became like elevator music, like the instruments they used. A little bit, yeah. And to me, I heard it completely differently. Like when I think of like the, to me, that's fucking heavy. (laughs) Like it's not this light kind of like fluffy, soft, cheap synth that they ended up going in that direction like nintendo just went in that direction and to me when i hear like i want to play a mario game where they fucking like amp the shit out of that song because like could be like a wicked just fat powerful bass line and like nowadays whenever they do like new iterations of that song they don't give it the power that i feel like i heard in the nes version Mm -hmm. it's so basic but to me that like that's got to be fucking thumping you know like it's just so fucking cool yeah and of course like the fucking mega man and stuff. I mean, like those are they're so good. I love it, and I love the um, bit of a tangent here, but I love the manual art in those old games. Well, that's you know, it's funny because I, I, who was I talking to about that? It's just a few weeks ago. On this point of how your your brain fills in the gaps, like those manuals, they're beautiful, but they you know, were like, but they were important because. Yeah they were the tools that helped you formulate the idea of like what what the world was you know like yeah. you you know what link looks like not because of the game but because of the fucking box and the manual and like the pictures inside like those are the things that tell you hey he's an elf he's not a fucking square with a <laughs> with a triangle like on top of the square and two dots like he's actually like a person and well do you remember the the cover to Mega Man 2 isn't it like a guy with a gun like no Mega Man 1 is the classic okay one. it's just so weird that's the one with like the dude that's like one of like the notoriously like worst cover yeah. arts like where the where the proportions of the guy are like all wrong mm-hmm. and it's like kind of an old looking man with the helmet and his arm is warped <laughs> like it's it's not correct like it's oh, i love that shit yeah before they, <laughs> before they figured out what mega man yeah would be or they got an artist who knew how to draw people that was a <laughs> well listen man i want to listen to another song and maybe sure. we can fucking wind down if that's cool yeah yeah um, get out of my kitchen yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to the title track it's featuring perturbator mm-hmm it's called Horse Blood. Mm-hmm. It's a cool song, and we're going to listen to that right now. Man, this is Horse Blood by Judge Bitch, featuring Perturbator. <laughs>
And that was Horse Blood by Judge Bitch featuring Perturbator. And that's a cool song. I dig it. Because I feel like you have one on each thing where you uh, have a little collab with uh, old James. James was one of the first people I met that did the same type of music that I did, mm. that I met personally. Yeah. Or per- internet. He messaged me right after Hobo came out and was just like, I'm loving this type of music. I haven't really heard much like this. Because it was they used my song Pacer for the credits for Hobo. Yeah. And he said, I love this track. And uh, we just started talking. And it was great to talk to someone who, you know, was doing the same type of thing. I mean, he was in FL Studio, but still, like, we could talk about VSTs and stuff because I just I was nerding out about it by myself I had no one one to talk to about it how far into meeting him did you find out how old he was he said once I remember him saying once like something about how old I was and I remember Mm. balking and just being like what yeah (laughs) like because I don't know I work in the film industry like the people I'm working next to me could be like 20 or 50 yeah yeah, yeah. it's just not a thing and you know film industry no one dresses their age Mm -hmm. so it just oh these days no one seems to dress their age so yeah. you know back in the 80s like an old person looked old <laughs> they yeah, dressed yeah, yeah. old and yeah so anyways i, I remember being like what what do you mean old yeah <laughs> like, i was like well i'm like 27 or something at yeah. the time mm. now 27 seems like young spry like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? but to him that was old so yeah I, I can't remember when i found out but i just remember being surprised it was a thing because especially with his album art and stuff like when i first because he's like the first basically the artist that was sort of the window into the scene for me and uh i just was like for sure i'm like oh this dude's like some dude who grew up in the 70s like just with the, <laughs> the style of art the references to like heavy metal magazine you know like just like the the lady and stuff i'm just like this is not a young like it <laughs> so yeah when i found out i was like you're a fucking what so i think when i talked to him he was like 21 or something i just i remember mm. i just remember being like what the fuck i mean since then i've obviously i've talked to lots of young but it's true 20s, remember when yeah. you were like 19 though and it's like 25 oh that's yeah. that's old you got a wife and kids with 25 <laughs> oh my god i'm 34 yeah None of my shit's together. Yeah, well, I, I guess every, everyone's different with with how they judge other people with the metrics of like what makes an adult or what, That's your shit together. For me, it's mortgages. So even <laughs> though I have friends who don't have kids and, and stuff like that, and it's fine, like I have children. I have a, like a wife and children, and yet I don't feel like an adult because I don't have a mortgage. <laughs> That's my thing. Like when I, when I talk to people who buy houses... To me, I'm like, ah, oh, they got their shit together. Like they bought a house. Like that's my <laughs> that's my metric for like an adult. Just with the price of houses in this where we're living, just like yeah, like getting a mortgage is a serious. Oh no, I would never. That's the thing. Like I come from a small town, and I think the logic part of my brain will never accept the house prices in a city. It's, it's just. A, I don't know if I will either. Ever to be honest. It's tough. I have a weird life goal. I don't believe in the secret or anything like that. But, you know, like I have an idea of where I'd like my things to end up, sort of. And they don't involve buying a house in Toronto. Just because, look, I come from a small town where, you know, 250000 will get you a Victorian big giant house with a yard. And the fact that, like, in this city, it's like a million bucks for... Just a house that's like not that special, and that you're fucking one foot away from another house, and you don't have a yard, and you're yeah. in a city, you know, like something about here that all the crews I work, I work with different people all the time because I'm like a freelance town person, and and a lot of them are younger people that are at that stage where they're getting a house, and so it's just all the people are talking about, and you do so much to have this little patch of grass in Toronto, yeah, and but there's public land everywhere. Like I'm amazed at how much public land there is here. Like in Halifax, we, I mean, there's obviously people have lawns and there's land around, but like the fact that there's like a park here every like three blocks, it's mm-hmm. like I, I'm not dying on the cross to get you know a, right. 
10 by 10 patch of grass. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of great public land in Toronto. That's, yeah. And actually, I was surprised. Because when you get the image of Toronto, I think you used to see like the heart of downtown. where they, It's like sports, where they show stuff. You mm-hmm. know, you're going to be down there. But where most people are living outside of the core, core, core is just, uh, yeah, parks everywhere. There's a lot of green space. Mm-hmm. It's great. I really like that about here. No, I mean, like, I like the city. I mean, I live by a beautiful park, but it comes at a a cost and it's, but at the same time, it's like, these, these are just things where like, cause I've lived in a shitty place when I first moved to Toronto and sometimes living in a nice place is worth that extra cost. If it means not being stressed out with the gentrifying here, it's, you got to go far to find a bad place. I think. It yeah. just seems like it's happening so quickly. I mean, I've only been here for two years, but... The neighborhood I live in, yeah, it's it's getting super gentrified. It's fucking raising prices. All the houses are being, like, yeah, renovated. because I've shot around there, and the places were very decent, very nice. And then people told me, they were like, yeah, a couple years ago, you would not want to be here no, at night at all. Yeah, we've been there for, I guess, maybe, must be, like, eight years or something in that general zone. And I guess it was 2000. It's 2001. And basically, they didn't have a liquor license. And that's what was holding it back. Mm-hmm. So, like, since there was... It was all, like, it was like basically like a prohibition street with like no booze and it was like just a shitty part of town and it was the liquor license that revitalized it and that was like like really? 10 years ago or something they finally got the liquor license and now now it's like that street is just full of small boutique restaurants and they're, they're, they're drunk and booze my tailor's there no Mohammed stitches up my jeans quite often oh yeah yeah <laughs> I only have like three pairs I rotate between, so when a knee goes, Mohammed's there. Uh, when I discovered stretch fit jeans, I did not go back. Actually, I got my jeans from a camera guy. I was shooting this thing for Harley last year. We were in Banff, and I, I had this little hole near my butt. I was like, eh, that's fine. Yeah, it looks almost cool. You can see <laughs> there's a, there's a word for underwear. that hole. That's fine. Hmm. And it's one day I remember I was bending down to like wire someone up, and it was just like, <laughs> and the whole thing was open, like back flap. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't have a backup pair because like I left for this pretty quickly i didn't think i'd be there at that time and uh so i bought a pair of jeans off the camera guy for 50 bucks and i've been wearing them since <laughs> for real but they have the stretch to them they're awesome well yeah no stretch fit uh like i know i'm late to this because girls had have always worn things with stretchy stuff where like you can still get jeans but they just make it like two percent spandex or three percent spandex right and american apparel like they have a whole like stretch fit line now and when i discovered it i was just like fuck i can't go back i can't go back to when i put on my regular jeans now they just feel like, like I'm, cardboard yeah like I, <laughs> I can't move in them and like the stretch fit ones i just feel so limber like i'm doing like the monty python like museum of funny walks thing where i'm just like stretching my legs we've well, and- been doing crazy leg stretches this whole time yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this whole time I've been doing squats. You can't squats. see right now, but his knee is behind his head. <laughs> I'm actually so inflexible uh, that that it's a good joke oh, to make about here. me because I, I can't awful. even, I can't touch my toes and I've never been able to touch my toes in my life. Really? Yeah. I, I worked to be able to do that a couple years ago and I, I can't now, but I used to be able How long did it take you? And what did you do? Did you just try and do them every day? Two months. Yeah. I, I talked to one of the guys, I was the sound guys I was working with on Oak Island. He had been a yoga instructor. He would just tell me, like, you know, like, lean over and on the down breath, you go a little further each time. And, you know, and I had a lot of downtime. A lot of times on reality TV, you're just waiting for, yeah, waiting on life and um, passing the time, stretching. That's something I've been I've been trying to work on, but I, I just, I, uh, I feel like I don't have the time. I don't have the time to stretch. There's always <laughs> something going on. It's true, man. Oh, since I got this puppy, I, you know, couldn't imagine kids. Yeah. Your, your own time gets, <laughs> gets squashed. Yeah, yeah. Life finds a way, man. You get <laughs> Anyways, listen, we've had a good time today. Yeah. It's been fun uh, uh, visiting you in your kitchen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Is there any, that's a weird thing to say if I'm in your house. 
Yeah. <laughs> is there something you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? Or? I don't think so. I think this this covered most of it. Um, I never really do. I never do interviews or anything. So not like as a rule. It just doesn't happen much. So uh, I sound like a fucking idiot on anything. But. No, it's all good. It's it's fun. I, I like being able to do these ones where it's like with with Skype. There's a weird sort of delay that that happens, and so it's always nice to be able to do these. Uh, uh, it's nice. It's chill. Except for your stretching, man. It's yeah. yeah. It's contortionist <laughs> I know it's, over here. It's a little distracting when my legs are behind my head and there's just this fucking ball, just like yeah. that boner painting behind me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid painting. <laughs> but it made you laugh, though. And that's the thing. No, right? it is awesome. Uh, it is awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Keep on making cool music. The new album is good, and people should go buy it, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. All right, and that was my conversation with Judge Bitch. Thank you all for listening. So that was a cool chat. I enjoyed that. And tune in next time where I will be chatting with somebody else. I think next week I might be doing a catch-up with Computer Magic, or I guess not really a catch-up, more of just an actual conversation. Because last time uh, she was on the show, she was it was like that green room one with Le Matos and... I really only talked to her for about maybe like 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so. So this is a proper conversation. And so uh, that should be cool. And uh, yeah, so thanks very much for listening to Beyond Synth. Please consider supporting the show. Patreon.com slash Beyond Synth. You know, it helps. It helps. (laughs) What a great sales pitch. Oh, also, uh, before I go. Okay, just one order of business. Uh, I'm going to be doing some chiptune-themed shows coming up. I already reached out on Twitter. Uh, a lot of people responded, so I guess, it, you know, I hit a nerve. Uh, but a lot of people out there who dig their chiptunes, and, you know, I do say I play chiptunes on the show, but it only seems to be, like, one chiptune track every, like, five episodes or something. It's just, like, one. So I, I want to do a deep dive and, and do a couple episodes where I really focus on chiptune stuff and also maybe interview some chiptune artists. So if you have any recommendations, man, let me know if there's... Uh, uh, some chiptune artists you like uh just let me know let me know well, guys and uh you know i've got a huge thing of links now that people sent me on twitter but feel free to send me some yourself and that is all i have to say so have a great weekend everybody thanks for tuning in to beyond synth and come by next time for more chat and more music catch you on the flip side thanks for Thanks for listening to Beyond Synth. If you would like to support Beyond Synth, please visit patreon.com forward slash beyond synth. And don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Instagram. If you want to submit your music for the show, please email it to beyondsynth at gmail.com. Have a lovely day.